0: Hi everyone, welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about digital and virtual media production. And our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today we're going to talk a little bit about graphics for broadcast, but using presentation tools. Um, You know, I think that a lot of times people feel like they have to learn After Effects or motion or something else that's more complicated to just build some basic graphics. And, the, and you can actually use your favorite presentation tool to do some of those things. So we'll show a little bit about how that actually can work um, in the second hour, so stay tuned for that. Um, let's go ahead and uh, jump in. We have a lot of questions today. I have to say that um, it really is great. I mean, if you're a producer out there watching, uh, it's really great when we, <laughs> when we open up the door and there's like 20 questions that are already there. Uh, it makes it a lot easier. So thanks so much for everyone who um, threw those questions in. Let's go ahead and jump to the questions. Mitch, what do we got?
1: First one, top of the stack, Graham Cardwell from Belfast, Northern Ireland, asked, looking for an affordable lav to go with my Sennheiser G3 radio kit. The existing one has gone a bit muffled. I guess from too much weather exposure, it's used almost exclusively on pitch for sports, and it's not clear enough for the indoor stuff. Good, Courtney. Well, if you can't afford the COS-11s, the Sankins, you know,
2: Deity makes some lavalier microphones that are uh, you know, affordable, around $100. Uh, so you might look at those. Uh, you might have to <clears throat> have it rewired or have it wired uh, for that uh, locking collar mini plug that is uh, fits into the G3 radios. Also, Sennheiser makes them more expensive. Uh, the M2, I think, is the one that they ship with those, which is not a very good lavalier. It, it sounds a little muffled to begin with. The MKE2, which is confusing because it's another Sony lavalier, uh, sounds a lot better, but it's about as three times as expensive. It's about 300 bucks as well. So you might look in that neighborhood if you want really good clear stuff, uh, or the Sankin Cost 11 is actually pretty good. The Countryman, if you're using it on on uh, on the pitch and in inclement weather and on sweaty people, the Countryman makes a waterproof version, which will work for you quite well. But it's also
0: not cheap. Good, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, Courtney's correct. And... Here's your cost 11. It's, uh, it's funny because, you know, for a mic that costs this much, it looks like a piece of shrink wrap tubing, uh, attached to a wire. That's the, uh, little guy right there. That's, uh, that's all there is to it. And I agree. It's a bit expensive, but, um, if you want to have it for life, it'll last you. Yeah, I and
0: mean, the me th- the me two, which is what what goes what ships with it, is as I said, not a, not the best lab in the world. Um, so uh, you just have to decide, and you're not going to find something for less than the me two that's going to be better, in my opinion. Uh, so you are going to be going upwards if you uh, decide you want something, and and as been mentioned here before. You may want to go with something that's more durable that might last longer. And if you count the years that you use it, as opposed to when you replace it, it might be worth uh, maybe more affordable in the long run. Uh, Next
1: question. Next one in from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida, asking, what would you consider to be the five most important aspects for speech intelligibility on Zoom? Think of these as short bulleted list for C-levels. Thanks. Go ahead,
3: Chris. I mean, there's all the things, Andy, you know, Uh, I I won't go into the technology, but uh, I'm sure John will. Uh, I will say this. Just a couple weeks ago, I was having a a Zoom meeting. Actually, it may have been Teams uh, with one of my clients. It's a woman I've worked with for over 20 years. And I literally could not understand about a third of what she was saying because she had opted to dial in through her phone. And in their corporate culture, that's a standard way of doing it. And it made me, her excuse made me think of one of the things that Alex always says that, uh, what do you say, Alex? It can be easy to make or easy to watch, but it can't be both. And yeah. her, her push was, well, you know, I move around a lot and it's just easier to carry my phone. And I said, let me show you something. And what, and what I had done is we well, would sat through this meeting and at the end of the meeting, I said, hey, can I talk to, can I have, you know, five minutes of your time afterward? Yeah, sure. And I said to her, I said, listen, you know I respect you. I've very much enjoyed working with you all these years, but I couldn't understand about a third of what you said in that meeting. Well, how come here, let me play you and I played her a recording from the meeting, and she's like, "Oh my God, I had no idea it was that bad and yeah. i I think that's what happens is p- people feel like oh it's well, this basically is just, it's this basically is so easy it must be good
0: when you don't play it back for folks it it's it's like them getting ready for work without a mirror, like you know, or getting ready Ooh. to go out without a mirror. You know, like that's the, yes. you know, and and they don't they don't know what they look like. You know, they just put it on, and so everyone's sitting there without a mirror. And when you play it back, we've done that with clients a lot with video and yeah. audio. Video, you can see a little bit because they're next to each other. Um, this is why if you're in our business, you have to have a good setup. Like you have to have a reasonably good setup. I mean, minimal viable is like Chris's. No, I'm just kidding.
3: <laughs> <laughs> wow or you no. could work in no, your like, den with a bunch of old decrepit gear behind you <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> anyway so um uh, so but but you but you have to have some like if you look at chris and i we when we're talking to clients that's going to give them that's level setting um you know for what needs to what need what they need to look like you know and it doesn't mean they have to be as good as the the, the what we have here but they can see that dis- oftentimes they can see the difference um I, I see a lot of folks that work in this in our field that are like well i'm not on air so i can prep them but i don't need to to look good i you know it's just them that need to look good well they don't they don't understand why it's important if you don't look good so looking and sounding good and having a good setup is really important for for those of us that do what we're doing yeah go ahead chris
3: but playing it back for her was eye opening it wasn't completely transformative it was like 50 percent. she's not going to show up with uh an outboard mic but i i I made her realize that her phone was right. not acceptable. And then we went through the the other built-in mics that she had. And as it turns out, using the laptop speaker was a world, uh, mic was a world better than using the phone. Right. And um, And I will say that you don't want to do that with everybody. Uh, I have a long relationship with this woman. I've worked with her for decades now. And uh, she trusts my opinion. So uh, it it was... Uh, it was welcome and, feedback. And one times, sometimes I don't go right quite
0: on the nose. So I go, hey, we're, let's do a test. Let's do, let's do a real quick test. And we just wanna do this and we'll play it back for you so you can see if, it, if it's showing up the way you want. We've got a couple of graphics we're throwing on and stuff like that. I'll say like, we're working on a couple of things. We just wanna get your feedback on how we're building your your frame. And, uh, and then I play it back for them. And then they're like, uh, what happened to the audio? You know, what happened to the audio? And you're like, well, that's just what, the way it, it's showing up for us. But I don't tell them there's anything wrong. I just, I just show them like, that's hey, we're just going to play this back. That's
3: cute. But I, don't, I, I know her well enough. I don't actually you have know to that, do that. But I'm just and saying, she, that's, the soft, yeah, yeah.
0: that's the soft way to do it. It's like, if you can just review something for us and let us know what this is.
4: This, she would if say, you're is,
3: wasting my time. What are you trying to tell me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go ahead, John.
4: Your bulleted list should be volume in order of importance if they can't hear you they're not going to be able to understand you if you're too loud you're going to hurt their ears cadence that's the rhythm which you speak as well as the speed at which you speak enunciation how well do you articulate the especially the t's and the s's vocabulary if you're using jargon people will understand you and lastly tone
0: Uh, go ahead go ahead mitchell
1: yeah i think that covers it uh you know, you know, the song uh, make the logo bigger. I think get the microphone closer should be the song that we sing, <laughs> because I can tell you that nine times out of 10, if there's a problem, it's they're talking from the other end of the room or they yeah. bought a, uh, a MacBook and they just expect that mic to be perfect for what they're using it for. Mm-hmm. And that's not it. You have to intervene and be your own best advocate.
0: Yeah. The, from a technical perspective, what we pay the most attention to is the first thing is just not breaking up. And usually the breaking up part comes from Wi-Fi. So that's why the first thing we do is try to get people on Ethernet um, because their Wi-Fi. The, the funny thing is you'll work with a big company and this is when we've got a huge connection to the building. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter even if they do a Wi-Fi. It's how many devices are moving in and out of that AP's range. So your, your access points range. It's how many devices are moving in and out of it. It doesn't matter. So if you're in a big apartment building, if you're in an office that has lots of people walking in, it's dropping packets. Now, if you are in the country in the middle of nowhere and you're using Wi-Fi and no one's there, it will be as good as ethernet. That's the trick. Like if you're, you know, nothing else is happening, you're gonna be fine. But if anything's moving around, that's when you're losing frames and you get what we call micro stalls. And that's probably the most noticeable thing that people do. They freeze for a second or they, or they, or you hear them dropping out because of, and it happens, Almost all the time when you are on Wi-Fi. The second thing is roominess. Um, so we listen for it, and that's hard rooms, so hard surfaces, and that comes back to what Mitchell was talking about—that you're a little too far away. But a lot of too far away also has to do with the mic. So the the um, you know how far away you are plus you know mic placement and how far away you are. So you can get closer and make up for a lot of problems um, when you're closer to the mic. You can get further away, but you have to have a really soft room. So you just got to figure out what what that is volume as as john said full spectrum so most of what we hear here with these mics are pretty full spectrum so you hear as low as the mic goes and as high as it goes a lot of things get muffled you know when you're using other mics and so on and so forth and it sounds really muffled and if you're in it, and it's okay as long as you don't hear it against somebody who does have full spectrum and finally presence and that's usually in the four to six k range um that presence will po- come up or down uh based on uh you know, ba- you know, and that's usually some kind of EQ or it's the, the nature of the mic. Um, but that's the final thing that you worry about. You don't usually worry about that because most, most of the time the other ones are broken. <laughs> Next question.
1: Next question from Jeffrey Reyes in Bronx, New York. Alex, in yesterday's office hours, you mentioned specs for all monitors that you buy. There was no mention of speakers. Do your monitors have integrated speakers or do you prefer getting sound from dedicated speakers connected to the system?
0: I have to admit, I don't even know if my monitors have speakers. They might have speakers. I've never, I don't, I don't use them. I don't use the the, the the speakers in the TV. Like I don't, like I don't, like the idea that a thing that pushes video will also push audio doesn't occur for me. Like I just, I always have something else that I'm listening to. Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, it also depends. I mean, if you're going to do critical listening, uh, then you want really good near field monitors. Uh, the big monitors up on the wall, like they have in the studios, is kind of falling out of favor. I have a set of uh, Channel X that I've had for ages, and yes, they're expensive. But consider the fact: if you only had to buy one set of speakers for the rest of your life, uh, wouldn't it make sense? Wouldn't you get a decent ROI?
0: My biggest problem is: is if there are speakers in it, and we push video to it, and suddenly sound starts coming out of them, out of the um, there, you know, it's like now I've got free sound floating around. So I, I usually I would probably prefer to have monitors without speakers. Go ahead, Courtney.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I like monitors with speakers only because uh, it lets me check to see if sound is embedded in the HDMI signal, yeah. and then I turn them off. Uh, for speakers, I've been using uh, these small Bluetooth speakers like this that uh, you can control separately. They're battery-powered and or DC-powered off of 5 volts, uh, like that Anchor there for about 25 bucks, and they give you much better sound than you can get out of the speakers that are built into a monitor. The speakers that are built into a monitor... Usually, just don't have enough uh, loudness to use very well, and uh, controlling the signal level on them is sometimes problematic. With touch, you know, touch buttons on the side of the monitor that you hit constantly—it's—it's it's just a big mess.
0: The one time I like to have speakers in my in my TV is when I'm checking for sync. So, if I'm looking for sync, I want to, um, I I want those speakers to be in the in the monitor because otherwise, you don't know if if your mo- if your sound is coming out of any other device other than the monitor itself. And so usually I want a monitor and usually it's a laptop for me, but it can be a monitor, but I want the speakers to be in there. And that's the only time, <clears throat> excuse me, that I, that I worry about it. Um, and usually those are production monitors that have a headphone jack, or they have, Sony makes a bunch of these. Um, next question.
1: From Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. How is Sigraph shaping up for those who didn't make the all hands meeting on Monday?
0: Yeah. So the, uh, the, the, the SIGGRAPH is looking good. Um, we have, uh, we're working on whether we're going to have a permanent, or like not, or a real physical space there. Uh, so, we're, we're going to hopefully figure that out over the next couple um, next couple days. Um, we have uh, a good team that's coming together. Uh, uh, Brian Shand and Raj, and Raj are going to be running the, uh, Brian and Raj, who worked on the last one, um, uh, are going to be managing that. Uh, Raj Shandel uh, is, is managing uh, the, uh, on the ground, and, and Brian is managing the cloud. Uh, probably not going to do a lot of VOD. We may try to do some, uh, we may try to do a few shorts, but that's about it. Um, outside of that, it's really going to be live. We're looking at doing live for th- all three days, but only for a couple hours each. Um, that's going to allow us to do some experimentation and, and evolve a little bit as we go. So, um, but we do plan to do after hours dur- during the time all around it. Um, and uh, that's where we're at right now. Go ahead, Courtney.
2: If you want to borrow my cart with a battery, it's available again.
0: <laughs> Very Just come good. Back and pick it up. I'm probably, you know, the funny thing is I'm probably gonna get a beefier cart. <laughs> so, so like even like I I am sold on like the cart. My cart. <laughs> I love your cart, but I'm just like, I need more. I need more cart. Like it was, it was you have to admit, we were hanging everything on that cart that you could possibly hang <laughs> I was it. a little worried about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that I'm probably gonna go to film tools when I get down there and just buy something that's more of a, you know, like one of those little ones that you can put together. So we'll we'll see. Uh next question.
1: Next up, Robert Sababity from Poland asking, What are the best ways to maintain speakers in frame that either move around at their desk or move around on stage?
0: I'll go ahead. Courtney.
2: Put a cardioid microphone on a stand that they have to speak into (laughs) and that they can hear. And then they know if they wander away from that microphone, you know, they, no one can hear them and make sure they can hear themselves. If they're listening on headphones, uh, that way they know they're in the right spot and they won't move. That's the easiest way. Uh, Either that, or hire a camera operator. If you yeah. hire a camera operator, they can follow them around on the stage wherever they go. Go ahead, Chris.
3: You put sandbags on their feet if they're standing. Yeah, that, that works great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, there is a product. It's a it's a little um, T shaped sandbag. Hmm? Yep, Have you, you, I don't those. know if you ever seen those. That's thought going to say. They're, nail gun, Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nail gun would work too. There's is other issues, but the T shaped ones are kind of nice because if you you could bump it. You could feel it. It's almost like braille for right. the for the feet.
0: Yeah, yeah. The uh, what we end up doing a lot now when they're sitting and they're moving around, it's really hard to kind of manage that. Other than letting them know that that when they do that, we have a bunch of graphics that are going around them, and those graphics won't work, and we can't turn them on if they move if they move over to one side or the other. And so, and again, this comes back to sometimes showing them what it looks like when they don't do it correctly. And and again, in, caged inside of. Hey, let, just let us know what you think of this, and then they're like off like this, and they're like, "Why am I getting cut off?" I was like, "Well, because you moved over there, you know." And so, so the, uh, um, so that you know, it's kind of the passive aggressive way of getting them to to stay centered. When we talk to folks on stage, you know, there are basically we consider presenters to be trained or untrained. You know, when it comes to that, you can always tell someone who's trained because while they're setting something up, they'll be walking on stage, and while they're making a point, they'll be standing on stage. And they'll do that because they know how to do that because someone told them to do it. No one knows to do it by accident. So if you explain to them when they're doing rehearsals and it has to be in rehearsals and oftentimes it has to be rehearsals over a series of events because they don't listen to you at the beginning and then they watch their video later and they go, oh, right, you know, and so they, so you have to kind of sometimes set them up so they understand what the issue is. And then, lo- and then if they watch their own pieces, that thing that you told them, so it won't, you have to get, with a lot of these kinds of things, you have to be patient. It may not happen when you set it, it happens three or four times after you said it and you just set it, you say it quietly and let it sink in. And so what happens is what you want them to do is, well, they can walk to another part of stage so they can address a different part of the audience. But when they make their point and what we try to show them is when they make their point, Stop a couple of seconds before that because that allows our cameras to zoom in and give them that cinematic shot, so they look amazing when they say what they, what's important to them, and 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 uh, so they can really make their point. Whereas if they if they're walking, we show them we have to cut wider, so we have to cut back for you because you're walking, and so nothing matters anymore. And that's what you tell them is like nothing you say is it's all equal. Like you might as well speak monotone because if you're walking all the time, it's like it's just like speaking monotone because we're cutting wide. Because we can't keep up with you. Whereas if you stop and to make a point, you know it's it's like freezing. Like okay, here's the deal. When you say that, or when you say whatever that is, you want to be standing somewhere, not walking somewhere. And you can tell someone who's gone through that training because they'll they'll get good at it. You know, and then what you do is you start spiking the the, the floor. Spiking the floor means putting little T's, like what Chris was talking about. But usually we just do it with tape. But putting little T's like I'm going to stand here. I'm going to stand, and there's a couple spikes, and you'll see them kind of walk over to those and and um really good speakers will get really good at it and they will be in within a foot of of anywhere in the world on that stage when they're giving the presentation they're exactly the same place and that um we just it just allows us to make them look better you know and that's the that's what we're what you have to kind of explain to them why that mechanic works um and again if you only get stuck to the speaker once chances of it impacting will be very low uh, but if you get to work with speakers over and over again, if you quietly talk about that a little bit, and especially with other people while they're in, around, um, it sinks in. Some, sometimes I find that talking slightly loud to another speaker will affect the speaker that I'm actually trying to talk to. <laughs> so it's so not like yelling at them, just talking like a little bit loud enough so they can hear me, but I do it, I'll raise my voice just a little bit so that the someone that I'm actually trying to make the point to can hear it in their periphery. And that's sometimes way more effective than telling them. Um, next question.
1: Alexander Knight from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada asks: I have a setup for my M2 Mac Mini, but I'm finding my Apple LED Cinema displays don't work. I'm using a Mini DisplayPort to DisplayPort adapter and then convert that into HDMI. Has anyone got these to work on current Macs? Go ahead, John. I suspect it's in your cables rather than in the monitors
4: themselves. I know that I've had a lot of trouble converting from DisplayPort to HDMI. There's only one specific active cable that I've gotten to work. Uh, That's what I would look at.
0: Next question.
1: David Brady from New York, New York. If presented with limited Internet connections, but you had two USB Ethernet adapters, could you use Internet sharing and effectively get an ATEM on the network via the Mac?
0: You can, um, inside the network preferences, you can do inside of sharing, you can do network sharing, and you can say, I wanna share from this to this. And um, and you can share from one ethernet to another. You can also share from a, you know, wifi connection to a ethernet connection. So you might have a MiFi, for instance, you can plug that into your computer and say, I wanna use that MiFi, but I wanna pass it out of my MiFi as an ethernet um, to one of those ethernet adapters. You can do this, you know, so there's a lot of different ways that you can, you know, share any connection going into the computer with another connection going out. Next question.
1: Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas has a question. Yesterday, we talked about barbecue, uh, but we didn't touch on barbecue tech. Does anyone have a high-tech grill or smoker or know of one they can recommend? Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, it question first is whether it's Memphis, Kansas City, Texas, and a multitude of other versions, but I used a big green egg. Yeah, go, Chris.
3: If it doesn't have Bluetooth, it's not worth buying. Um, there are uh, as Traeger has some smokers and grills and stuff that have Bluetooth uh, thermostats that'll notify you when your meat hits the desired temperature.
0: Next question.
1: Next one, Ed. I have a question. What brand of cleaning supplies do you use to clean your lenses?
0: Good, Courtney.
1: Well,
2: I used to use uh, the Kodak lens cleaning. A solution, which is, uh, you know, distilled water and alcohol life. And then I started making my own. And I've lately been using uh, for a prompter glass, I don't know if I'd use it on a coated lens, although we do use it on prompter glass and has I've used it for years without any problems, is Sprayway makes a, which you can get it almost anywhere at Home Depot, an aerosol cleaner that has no ammonia in it and that's the important part it has a, uh, a detergent and it's a spray and it has no ammonia and it has alcohol and it evaporates quickly i'd be careful i'd test it on an old lens you don't like very, very first but I, I don't think it'll attack the coating on the lens but uh, to be safe kodak lens cleaning fluid
0: go ahead Mitchell.
1: yeah i did ask the question of my dp friend who also works at a rental house and he checks a lot of cameras, very high-end cameras, lots of lenses, like cooked lenses, which are worth a quarter million dollars. And I was what do you use? What do you actually use, not how you do it? And he says Pancro Pro is the solution that he uses. And Kim Wipes, make sure you get the green ones that are lint-free. And those two uh, products uh, seem to work the best for keeping the smudges off the lenses.
0: And the and the big thing to remember also is if your if your lens is a little dirty, you you want to use um you know a blower first. So you can get these blowers that kind of look like little missiles oftentimes. And you kind of blow them off. You want to get any large particulate off the lens so that you don't drive it into the lens when you when you do the wipe when you wipe it. I have to admit that I I have kind of moved, I I do a lot of things. I have a lot of I do have some lint-free um things, but I use these care types. These are single-use I don't do my I don't have to do it all day every day, and so I use these because I, I know that they're clean, um, and they come out and they've got a little bit of alcohol on them. I think, or I don't know if it's alcohol, but it's something in it. But I this is what I clean my my lenses with because it's um, I know it's not the most environmentally friend, friendly, but my lenses are really expensive, <laughs> and so I just want the, I just want it to be clean when it hits it. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, I forgot to mention. Uh, he also suggests put a UV filter. On the front of your lens and save the trouble of scratching, yeah. and dirt and impacts and things like that. There's a lot of
0: opinions about that, um, so we, we get into that with photographers. Of you'll spend, you know, why spend five thousand dollars on a on a uh, lens and then spend uh, fifty dollars on a piece of glass that sits in front of it, you know, and and whether that in, you know it degrades the quality of the image. So um, I do keep a UV filter on my lens almost all the time. And when it matters i take it off <laughs> so so like as soon as i go okay i'm gonna take a picture that i really care about i take the uv because i'm not going to shoot through an expensive lens and then into a, a cheap
1: piece of glass um next question ronnie hofsey and Rum- trump norway ask what software mixer can do auto mixing of 12 to 16 dante inputs coming from goosenecks and also do some light 3 to 6 db noise reduction built in or via plugins Other automation options for use with um, Isadora is a big plus. You know, Mixbus might be
0: able to do it. Um, I'm not 100% sure. That's Harrison's uh, software um, tool that that does that. I am not sure how many software solutions um, would do the auto-mixing. I mean, I just don't know where those, um, I I guess... uh, Oh, Mickey says Waves, Waves LV1 with a Dugan rack will do it. Yep, yep, Mickey's right there. So yeah, Waves will um, uh, be the one that you could do your software. The other thing you can do with Dante, just note as, if it's useful, is that um, <clears throat> Dante, uh, Dugan makes a Dante box that'll do 64 channels of Dante. So you just send them out to, via Dante to the box and you send them back and it'll, it'll, uh, you can group them uh, you can have them there and it it's it's not the most inexpensive box in the world but it's like i think it's it's the same as all their other boxes it's really funny you can get an eight channel like analog mixer from dugan for six thousand dollars or you can get a 64 channel dante and i asked dan one time like why did, how, how come the price is the same And he's like well the dante one doesn't cost any more to make <laughs> so, so to him it was like that's what you do so anyway so um there there is a separate box you can get that will just do all that auto mixing for us as many channels as you, as you would typically need. And because you can break them into groups, you can use that Dante box too. You could have a box on the network that can handle, let's say, eight rooms of eight people and all be doing auto-mixing within them. Now, next question.
1: Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas has a question. Several panelists have been testing out the Poly Studio P21 all-in-one monitor mic speaker webcam with the addition of a Melee tiny computer would this be the ideal kit to ship to guest panelists for a show? And how would you attach the melee?
0: I wouldn't call it ideal. I think this is a good, like, I'm going to throw it in the office and be able to look at it if I need to. Or I'm going to put something and I wouldn't send this. I wouldn't send this as a kit to anybody. Um, next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael, one negative comment about returning to office has been that the geographically distributed nature of modern work workers makes the stronger collaboration in-person argument moot. Do you agree or disagree? Go ahead,
2: Courtney. I disagree a little bit. I think getting together
1: in person every now and then,
2: uh, has a much more, uh, sense of camaraderie, uh, it lets you see people in person and you get to kibitz more without being, uh, you know, privately to people without being publicly bringing something up in, in a group chat or something. So it, it gives you a little more ability to communicate privately and personally. Uh, with your fellow team workers, without necessarily, you know, telling it to the world out there, and the letting it uh, be available for, you know, the higher ups to observe closely. So I think there's there's that level of communication that is lost if you're communicating over Zoom. You know,
0: good, John.
4: Yeah, it doesn't make it completely moot, but it can minimize it a little bit. The big difference is on site, you can run into people from other departments or in other teams you don't normally work with. Um, I was walking through the office the other day and I stopped by and saw one of our directors in a totally different department that was working on something. And I offered to help because it was something that I had already built some materials for. And that just wouldn't have happened if I was at home. Good, Chris.
3: Oh, according to John, working at the office means extra work for you. Interesting. So <laughs> uh, I vote against that. Now, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we had an event uh, last fall, uh, and uh, I met a woman that I had worked with f- through the entire pandemic, met her at the beginning of the pandemic online on Zoom, and uh, I'd never seen her face to face. And it's interesting because you can have a deep, uh, you know, meaningful camaraderie with with a uh, somebody you work with online, <clears throat> and the chemistry may be totally different face to face. And it it might it might be fine. It, it may not be. Um, back to, to the RTO. I thought RTO was rent to own. Um, uh, one of our clients just. Uh, like many other companies just stated, everybody's by October, everybody's back, minimum of three days a week. They told them what days they had to be there, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Interesting. Uh, and each department has a certain percentage that they can give exemptions to. And they have a very specific and odd percentage. And uh, they, th- people are already quitting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the problem that you have now is that, uh, it's funny, by the way, Chris, do you know why they do the Monday, Tuesday, Thursday? There's a couple no. of companies doing that. It's so people don't do not do it. Everybody, when you say the manager can decide what three days, it's always Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Like everybody is doing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And here, you know, like, it's it's just like, because they just, then everyone gets- The George
3: Jetson three-day work week.
0: Well, and, and here's what happens. Uh, some anecdotal evidence from people that I've talked to that where companies do this. So when the companies force people to come back, the manager set it for Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and people do almost nothing on Monday and Friday. It's kind of a passive-aggressive back pushback of you know they they had to go in and you know it's a real pain in the neck and they just are and they they tend not to have a bunch of meetings on Mondays and Fridays and you know they tend to do some meetings so that it doesn't look like they're not doing anything but they tend to slow down a lot so rather than having a constant tension of them being on online the the when you give them 3 days that people are mad you know and and the thing and the problem really is is that um you can talk about the camaraderie but forcing people back is is really what it does is it has them tune up their LinkedIn, they start getting those. They And and the problem is, is in their mind, they're thinking about their next job. And that's not where you want your employees. In your You want your employees to be in their mind thinking about your next product, thinking about the next thing that the clients want, thinking about how to do those things. And that's not what they're thinking when you force them to come back to the office. And the problem is, is that more and more companies are getting better and better at doing it online, which means they're taking the highest performance employees who are the ones that... Are self-managed and and really understand this stuff, and they're going to steal them. <laughs> like, you know, and they're already doing that. They, you know, and there are companies there's, and I've worked with companies that have been remote their entire existence. Like someone decided that that was, and I and I will say that's very different than people who are used to being in the same room because they have ways of doing everything. For instance, some of them keep their Zoom, their Zoom room. You know, that their personal room is opened all the time, so anybody can just jump in to, to ask them. And if they don't want them to do that, they close it but that tells people that's like shutting their door. And so if they want to be opened and everything else, people can just go in and talk to them if they if they need to. So there's a little bit of this, oh, I gotta talk to Chris for a second, and I just jump into Chris's room. Or sometimes they have shared Zoom rooms, or and this used to be Hangouts before that. Um, people will just jump in and there's a room where everyone's sitting around with a window opened, and you can just sit there and talk to people as you need to. And we used to do that um, in, pixelcore because we had a dc office and we had a and we had a um, san, um, san rafael office and so we would keep them connected most of the day so that we could sit there and just ask questions and talk about things and as as needed the other thing that Companies that are remote do is they they do provide opportunities for workers to come in and work together. Not they don't have to do that, but hey, we're having a TGIF on Friday. So if you want to come in, you know, to the office at three o'clock, we're gonna have sodas and snacks and beers and whatever else it is, and you can come in and that way that people can mix and actually see each other, then oftentimes what they do is regionally or quarterly, they do, I mean regionally they do monthlies or or quarterlies where people within a certain region are, are invited, everyone in that certain region are invited to come for an all hands just for that group. And then oftentimes every other, I mean, every six months or every year, they have they re- literally fly everybody into a nice place. And I said, well, that seems really expensive. They're like, it's not as expensive as office space. <laughs> like, you know, like, like they, they just did the math. They were like, it's a lot cheaper to bring people in every once in a while and and have them all get together. And then they all have their own offices. and. Generally, they're all expected to have an office. Like, it's not like they're expected to not show up at client meetings with a, uh, you know, so one room in their house, the company is expecting them to have an office. And so the benefit, the upside is that they get it, but the, the company pushes back. This is one company that I'm thinking about specifically pushes back on if you, you cannot show up from your kitchen or your living room or anything else where something else is going on, they expect you to have a room in your house that you're going to use for that. Um, that's the benefit of you being getting to work at home is that but the the other side of that is they need to be professional and that and you know and if you don't want that they have an office you can come into it's not completely remote like you could come in if you don't want to do that they're not forcing you to do that but if you want to stay home you have to maintain a room that is a professional experience for their clients And and what happens is, and this company didn't start this in COVID. I mean, I think this company's been doing this for twenty years. You know, like it's not, you know, they and and it's only everything's only gotten better. They said, well, you know, it was all phone calls before that, and so to them, everything is just way better than it was before, because they were they started in the dark ages of just everybody on phone calls and everything else, and they just came down to the CEO never knew
3: where they wanted to be, and so they didn't want an office because they they just wanted to be everywhere. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. It's quite interesting that. You know, COVID happened right after, you know, uh, Salesforce built their tower. Apple just opened the spaceship. Uh, Schwab just built a huge campus in Texas. I think Elon now has corporate headquarters on Mars. I mean, it's interesting that all these companies just built these, I, and I'm sure there's many others.
0: I and mean, We've talked and then, about this, you know, in, in Nauseam, yeah. at Nauseam, but, but the the... The, the open office is just a disaster. For every one of those Absolutely. little things, like, hey, I, I bounced into somebody and then I, they, there was something we, we came up with. There's 10 people talking around me or bugging me every time I'm trying to think. You know, and and so the thing is, is that the, the loss of productivity as a whole is way higher with people just constantly around you talking. Like I, I you know, I, I it's a little piece of hell for me. So I and I've ridden a lot of desks and a lot of these things and I and I just try to figure out how do I not do this anymore. Um typically, you know, and so the free food is nice and all the other things are nice, but I don't want to ride a desk with a bunch of people shoulder to shoulder. And um and and so, you know, I think that companies could definitely get a huge part of their workforce to be happy and come back. If they gave them a little bit more space if they gave them a closed space that they could be in where they, they could actually work and they don't have to put their headphones on all the time um if there's a bunch of things that companies could do to draw people back in but they don't want to spend the money on it so now they're just trying to force them to and it'll work for a little while <laughs> but it's not going to work in the long term because again your best the 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 horse is out of the gate like people are going to be working from their homes they're going to be working remotely there's no way to go back and, and so, companies will fight this for a little while. Same thing with physical events. I mean, you know, there will be physical events, but they're never gonna go back to the scale that they were, and, they're gonna, and those larger ones are gonna keep on drawing out because they simply won't be able to compete with when as higher production tools um, become more prevalent. Um, if you have more questions, uh, you can go ahead and throw those into uh, Mukana. So, ask your questions now. We've got a little room before the end of the hour. Um, also, uh, make sure to vote on those questions. It's really important. The voting tells us what order you want to, uh, um, if you want, uh, you know, if you want to talk about more barbecue, then vote those barbecue ones up. Um, you can vote um, if you want uh, more technical ones, vote those up uh, and vote the ones th- down that you that you don't want to, t- us to talk about. So just decide what, what you want to do there. But as producers, you have control. Uh, next question.
1: Javier Alfaro from Mexico City, Mexico, asking, what is the best AI tool or plugin for taking notes and documenting Zoom meetings?
2: I uh, go to Courtney. I used to use uh, Google Keep. Uh, but they've deprecated that in the uh, as a plug-in for the browser. It still works. Uh, whether or not they'll continue to support it is questionable. They are moving everybody to the apps that run on Android and iOS uh, for Google Keep. And it's good for keeping notes. Now, I don't think there's any AI involved in it. So if you're looking for something that has AI tools, I've been using Perplexity as a plug-in for uh Google Chrome and that works pretty well. If you need to use it uh, for AI composition and generative text, uh, that's good. Maybe you can find there's a good, a very good site called uh, Future Tools. I think Preto has spoken of this before. Matt Wolf runs it, and you can go there, and it is a uh, collection of all things AI tools and software available. And he updates it on a daily basis. So you can just search for anything that fits in the category that you're looking for at future tools. So just do a search for that.
0: Yeah. And there's, there's a lot like on the Mac there's now, you know, Mac whisper or there's, there's the whisper in general that can transcribe everything that you did there. And then it's just a matter of putting it into an AI tool to summarize it, uh, break it down to the points and so on and so forth. And I think that you'll see those tools get infinitely better. Uh, over time, and I believe that Zoom has some of its own AI tools as well, which I haven't gotten to experiment a fair bit. But um, it does. There's a lot of things that it'll do, like shorten. I'm talking to someone about it. You can shorten things, like I can write a long email and say, "Make this shorter," and it'll just make it shorter. <laughs> and oftentimes, it's more, it's more pithy. Um, and and uh, and so sometimes that works. Uh, next question.
1: Paul Wallace is back from Austin, Texas, asking, "Have you tried Vimeo's new AI-powered tools?"
0: Uh, I have not tried Vimeo's uh, AI-powered tools. In fact, I didn't even know that Vimeo had AI-powered tools. So, um, so so, I think that we should probably... I know that some of the folks uh, at Vimeo watch the show. So if you're watching the show from Vimeo, we'd love to have you on. You can talk about your tools. So um, so anyway, so um, we it's an open invitation for folks uh, from Vimeo to come on because uh, we, we'd love to talk about it. Go ahead, Courtney. I just had a, a flash on that question that AI-powered tools, you know,
2: if I could get a jigsaw that could cut a perfect circle, if you just hit a button on it, that would be perfect. Wouldn't it? they make oh. those, Courtney? Artificial <laughs> intelligence control, or you just tell it, you know, cut out a
0: chair back for me. Okay. Yeah, I, this is. Um, I, I think that what it is. There's a scripting. Um, yeah, you can. You can. Uh, it's adding basically ChatGPT solutions to Vimeo. I'm just looking at it while we were talking. So you can prompt it and say, give me a bunch of examples of something. You can also ask it to, uh, you can give, me, give me a bunch of uh, examples for something. You can also ask it to write a script for you. <laughs> you know, this is the information I want you to write a script. You can have it transcribe things. And so those are the things, some of the tools that they have there. Go ahead, Chris.
3: I think it's important to remember that a lot of people are using AI or AI powered as marketing. Like if, if, if I'm not saying it, I'm not relevant. Right. And so a lot of times when you see that stuff, you have to throw it out. You have to ignore it now with AI now with AI, but I will say this very interesting. I was just telling John this, I've been using the, um, the speech to text thing on my phone a lot more lately. And I've noticed times where I'm talking. And it misunderstands me, and it writes the wrong word. And then I write three or four or five more, or I say three or five more words, and it goes, oh, I bet you meant this.
0: Yeah, it'll and go back and re- correct it. It's, it's contextual.
3: It's fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's contextual. So it, 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 as soon as it knows what you're where you were going, it'll go back and correct. the. Yeah, you have to keep talking. It's one of those things that you think that you're, you're doing voice, but it's really machine language that's machine learning that is... Is going there, yeah. So if you keep on talking, you'll see it, and then Google will do that a lot. Like if you watch the Google um, tr- uh, captioning on a on a meet, and yeah. you open that up, you'll see it constantly changing the words because as it contextually understands it, it understands what you actually
3: meant. Um, One of these days, we're going to have computers where you just ask it to draw you something, and it will. <laughs> If they, if we did that, I would call it something
0: like a journey. Like you're in the middle of a journey. Like I think that would be like was you're in a you mid-journey. who
3: posted. Was that you who posted the the balloon monster walking on the beach? Was that yeah. yours? Yeah, that was, I, that was.
0: Someone asked for a video version, and I just I just made a, a mid journey version. I don't do the that video stuff funny. much anymore. That's pretty funny. They are. It's. Um, it's endless fun. The, the one that is now, I, I was gonna show it today, but it's not quite, I'm not, I'm not facile with it yet, is the new generative AI with, um, with Photoshop. What you can do is just take a mark, you know, like a paintbrush really big and just paint where you want uh, the river, where you want the land, where you want some trees, and, and then you just select it and say, valley with uh, trees and a river, and it, and it will just build a video, It'll build a photorealistic thing of what you just kind of laid out and then you go and then I went back and I and I painted another little stream in that went to it and I did it again and it just had a little stream but <laughs> it all just integrated the whole thing into it um, and so uh, it will you know so when it comes to like blocking ideas what, what we're, where we're getting to and again I don't think we're going to use these in production as much as we are going to use them when we're talking about previz oh man like being able to sit there and and block out i want a person here person here person here person here and then i can say i want this feel for this and i want this whatever and i want this person and a you know man talking to a woman and, a, and, they, and, and they're getting to um with mid-journey they have that blocking and i i just saw it go by today or last night or whatever where you can kind of build a stick ver- version of a they had a stick version of a you know of a blonde woman in a pink dress you know holding a box basically and then they said. They uploaded that to Mid Journey and said Margot Robbie holding a hamburger, <laughs> you know, and uh and uh and it there it was. Um, yeah, go ahead, Mitchell.
1: What would Bob Ross say to all this? That's what I want to know.
0: <laughs> you know, I you know, I think that there is uh I I don't I don't I, I'm not obviously I'm not that um uh afraid of it. I mean I, I enjoy using it a lot uh to you know to to figure stuff out and to and to block things out and so on and so forth the but i you know it's like you can get people to cook stuff for you but there's a certain value in making something or cooking something that that you did you did that or you you worked on it and i think people are going to find more and more that they still want to do those things well i think i think why people sometimes are feel disconnected is because they're not doing anything anymore they they open up their food and boxes and they And they have someone deliver something and they don't, and they're not, you know, there's no, there's something about the doingness, the interaction with the world that makes it valuable and makes it enjoyable. And so I think that, um, I think people are going to come more back to that as more and more stuff is done for them. Um, Next question.
1: And it's Douglas Carmichael asking, when a landlord won't let you run Ethernet in the walls, what flat cat five be a good second choice? Uh, Go ahead, Mitchell. Um, you know, I've done it before, run it under carpet and things like that. But you have a long-term issue with that because people walk on it, and you don't walk on Ethernet. So I'm more inclined to uh, just do it and ask for uh, forgiveness after the fact rather than permission. ahead, Courtney. That's, not, that's
0: that's how you don't get your your uh, deposit. That's right? yeah, how you, lose your
3: deposit. That's yeah, the exactly. cost of running Ethernet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the cost.
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The problem with uh, you can get flat uh, Cat six, Cat five. Here's something that's pretty cheap for like ten bucks for twenty five feet with the connectors on the end of it you can run it uh, along walls but the problem you run into with running if you've ever tried to run flat cable flush against a wall or something making any kind of a turn is really problematic if you've got to make a 45 degree bend in it or something it's it's going to stick out you can't fold it very easily you've got to go up and over a door and back down you know you're going to run into problems making right angle turns with it um it's not very easy to route with a round cable you know you just make the right
0: angle turn and come down doesn't matter
2: but flat cables don't make right angle turns very easily
0: yeah another thing you might want to look at is uh there's a, monoprice has a thing called slim runs uh cat sixes um and uh they may not be the fastest um you know i think that they might be hundred and they might be one gig i think you can get you can get gig versions of them, I think, but they're not going to go any higher than that they are about as thick as the flat run that you were going to do maybe just a little thicker but they're round and they go around things. And we use them a lot. We don't use them for very long runs. We mostly use them in our kits because it reduces weight and clutter. But they're, but these little slim runs um, uh, do, a, do a pretty good job. And you can get longer ones. They just don't go very long very effectively. I think 50 feet is kind of the outer uh, outer range. And I'm trying to look at what the, what they're... Um, I know that we've had some that have only been 100 megs, which didn't matter because we usually use them for control and audio and stuff like that. Um, so it just depends on what the speeds are that you need. But, uh, um, anyway, these are six, uh, cat six, I'm trying to look at, uh, 10. Well, they see, they say they're 10 Gs. Um, these are slim runs anyway. So I, I would take a, take a look at those. Those, those work, uh, quite nicely, um, for the kind of thing that you're doing without having to do flat ones, which have all the problems that Courtney said. Uh, next question.
1: Rob Collins in Raymore, Missouri What's a good grippy tape I can get to stop things from sliding around my desk? God, Mitchell. Uh, anything with the word "gorilla" in it will work.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I mean, you didn't say you had to, it; it couldn't do any damage, you know. So, so I mean, duct tape and gorilla tape, and you know, uh, you know, Loctite; those all will work. I mean, nothing's going to slide anywhere once you do that. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Or a six thousand cement or silicone. What
2: I do is, if I have something that I want to, you know, have a grippy bottom on it, but I don't want it to be glued to the desk, is I put a very thin coating of silicone, uh, GE silicone, on the bottom of it, just just a, a wafer thin, you know, and uh, let it dry. And then when you set it down, it, it cushions it, and it that cup or whatever it is won't move because the it has a uh, a grippy bottom on it then. And it, it usually will stick pretty good to the uh, clean off whatever you're going to coat with this stuff uh, with alcohol before you put it on to make sure you get the grease off of it.
3: That, that works pretty good for me. Go ahead, Chris. You know, Alex, when you were dreaming about your, your custom desk, I had asked you once, did you want a hard surface or a, or a soft surface? And um, I would go for something soft. But also, you know, Rob, if, if you have stuff sliding around on your desk, I would recommend taking the corners a little slower. <laughs> yeah, I was like, get it off the boat. I mean, that's all I'm saying is, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> you just got to slow down just a little bit. You can, you can control most stuff that way. Next question.
1: Paul Wallace from Austin, Texas, discuss how Discord uses localized time posts and how you'll always be on time if you have your computer clock set to the right time. Do Zoom and Mukana do something similar?
0: Well, it obviously didn't work yesterday because Paul was. Giving us a time for a meeting that wasn't the right one. So I, so so my view of Discord time now is, I didn't think about it before. Is like I don't know if it works or not. So um, so I don't, I don't actually don't know how Discord. I think it it looks at your local time of where you're posting it, but uh, it didn't work yesterday. So I, and I think it was used for one of our meetings, and some people made it and some people didn't. So so I think
1: that um, I'm not sure. We'll have to come back to you on that one. Now, Next question. And it's from Eduardo Augustine in Panama. Eduardo wants to know I'm considering getting two pan tilt zoom cameras for my fly kit, which have 30x optical zoom. We'll be working on funerals, conferences, and some sport events. What is a good pan tilt zoom cam without breaking the bank? You know, in the sub $5,000
0: range, I think Bird Dog has a lot of really good tools. I mean, I would definitely take a look at, at those. A, a lot, some people will go towards the PTZ optics, but uh, I haven't had a I haven't had a great uh Vadio is another one and i haven't had a great experience with either one of those and so i i think the bird dogs would be probably where i would um where i'd probably start to look in the mid range in the kind of the mid 5000s you probably want to look at some of the canon lens the the canon solutions are are pretty great um in those in those areas there and then um in the 10000 a camera range uh, for the long zooms you probably want to look at the panasonic 150s um there's the 120s and the 150s but the 150s are considerably better um, than the than the 120s. Um, and so that's gonna give you that long range. Of course, in a shorter range, um, then than you you might wanna look at the uh, Sony FR7s. Um, that's what we, we've been using those for a lot of events, and we're really, really happy with them um, from a closer area. The thing to remember also when you have PTZs is you can get closer. So a lot of times we use PTZs specifically because we can put them very close to the stage which is gonna give you a much better experience than putting them at the back of the room. Um, and so a lot of times pillars turn out to be useful. We we will take PTZ stands, you can get these that are designed to go to the wall. You know, like you can install them on a wall, but what we found is we can strap them really tightly to a pillar. <laughs> so we strap them to pillars and then put our PTZs on them and they're on the inside of the pillar. And that's, so if you, the reason that this is important is you, if you think about your, you might have a stage like this, it's out here like this, and, um, and you have a pillar here and a pillar here, and then you have lots of seats going along here. What you can do is you can you know basically strap your PTZs to the inside of these pillars. And what that means is that the, the seat kills behind it never are affected because you have the same number of seat kills as you had before. And so you can put those PTZs a lot closer and we've done that a lot and it's super useful. Next question.
1: From Gordon Lake in Los Angeles, California, Gordon asked, "I have Mix Effect Pro on an iPad. Would I need to put it on a Mac Mini in order for a remote TV to control it, or can they control the iPad? And what about putting a Stream Deck in the mix?"
0: Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna need a Mac Mini to do that. Um, you can't control the the iPads are built to not be controlled remotely. <laughs> so so there, I think you'll have a lot of trouble with that. But they get the Mac Mini. We use it with a Mac Mini, and it works great. And that's going to open you up to the whole world of shortcuts and stream decks, and all those things are are possible once
1: you go into that path. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, the M1 Mac Mini works wonders, and yes, the Stream Deck with uh, the Mix Effect uh, companion uh, plugins is a wonderful thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Next question:
1: Kenny Hampton in Greenville, Illinois, looking at some B&H daily sales. I see light panels, Gemini LED panels, twenty-five by thirteen points uh, times seven. Uh, the list price comes in at approximately forty five hundred dollars. What are the advantages of such a panel versus lesser priced units?
2: i Courtney well they're more sturdily made. Light panels is one of the first uh companies to do LED lights uh for production use, and so they you know are are priced pretty high because they were one of the first and they are maintaining their profit margin. Uh, and they're pretty, pretty tough. They're really designed for professional use to throw in a truck, pull them off the truck every day, uh, without having to pamper them too much. The, you know, the quality, of the light you're going to get probably could be duplicated in something that's about a third of that cost or less. Uh, but uh, it may not last as long. Of course, you can afford to buy three or four of them, and you know, as they break, you can uh, retire them and bring out a new one. So it's a trade-off.
0: Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, I agree with Courtney. Light panel are great. I've got one right there. It's a uh, Astra soft and it's two grand.
0: Yeah. And, and the, uh, other ones that we've seen a lot showing up are Nan Lux. So a lot of us have Nan lights. I didn't even know Nan Lux existed until I was talking to somebody. Um, I was, t- <laughs> we were talking to someone who's coming to light one of our shows and they're like, Oh yeah, I'm going to use these big Nan Luxes. And I was like, what are Nanlexes? And I did a search and it's just made by the same company as Nanlite. It's just the next level up. And there's a lot of, they have a lot of great ones at a pretty, it's cost effective for what they are, which is at, a, at another grade above what the Lights are. Now, next question.
1: Next question in from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. What time is the show training workshop on Tuesday today? Go ahead, Mitchell. Um, we have moved uh, to 3 p.m. Um, Eastern. Sorry, so that means it's twelve o'clock uh, your oh, time. It's, it's in the earlier now
0: because I just told a bunch of people that it was at three p.m. Pacific Standard. Yeah. Now yesterday. the
1: question is: Is it this week that the new time goes into effect, or next week? And somebody's going to have to chime in and tell us that. But uh, yes, it's it's going earlier for our European friends.
0: Oh, uh, I, I was trying to figure out why are we going earlier? Like, why are we changing it? Usually, the, the thing you're always doing. So, but that that totally uh, t- totally makes sense. Um, let's go to the next question.
1: Paul Wallace, again, from Austin, Texas. What's the Apple product you most want to get into the uh, current offerings, and what are you hoping for from Apple the most?
0: I, What I'm interested to see what happens in the fall when it comes to the iPhone is whether the iPhone will be 3D, you know, stereo capable. You know, so that's the thing that I'm, um, I'm particularly interested in related to that is to know whether, you know, because I think that as we... Um, as we go on this path, like how are you gonna generate the, the vision headsets will of course produce um, the, you know, they'll, they'll do their own stereo, but wouldn't it be great if everybody who has a phone, you know, the 75 million phones that get bought or the 200 million phones that get sold or whatever can do stereo for those headsets. I think that's coming in this version or the next release. It feels pretty silly to announce the vision and not have the phone be able to do stereo for it this year, but it would feel more silly next year. So I think because then there'll be a whole bunch of headsets there. So, so it'll be interesting to see if Apple coordinates um, the phone offerings with, uh, with what's going on with the headset. So we'll see. Um, next question.
1: Eduardo Augustine in Panama. What is your best approach to getting new clients for performing live streaming services?
0: You know, I think that the biggest thing is to, to do live streaming services. <laughs> you know, like, so, so you have to be out there doing them. Um, so I think that a lot of times uh, in the, how I got started with almost all the things that I did is I just started doing it with whoever I could. Sometimes it didn't make any money. Sometimes it didn't make much money. Um, and I, you know, started to kind of work through it. It allowed me to figure out how to get it done, what the problems were going to be. And it allowed me to figure it out. If, if you wait for people to hire you to do it, might take a long time. And usually people like me will get that work first. <laughs> you know, so we'll drink your milkshake. So, um, so, uh, so you just have to, you know, like a lot of times I'm out there, uh, you know, usually I end up in the more expensive realm of doing those things, but it usually starts with um, just trying to fiddle, figure it out. Um, and you'll see us, you'll see me do that a lot with a lot of different things of trying to figure out how to do it, you know, and I don't know how to do it, you know, and so let's figure it out before we start trying to charge for it. Next question.
1: From Gordon Lake in Los Angeles asking, at what point in the growth of a digital first operation do you need to bring on board an EIC, an engineer in charge? What would be their minimum qualifications and where would you go to find one?
0: You know, it's we try, an EIC, once you start having multiple cameras, <laughs> I start thinking, once you have multiple cameras for, an, for a client that is remotely important, uh, we start thinking about an EIC. You know, that EIC may also be the TD. Uh, maybe some, you know, someone else there, but we really have someone that we think of as an EIC, it starts to separate once the team, once you're getting to three or four cameras and a separate audio pipeline and some comms, you really need to have somebody who's only focused on that. They're not doing anything else. Uh, go ahead, Chris.
3: Yeah, Alex, you always talk about, uh, you know, you don't want to put people over like 40% or 60% of their, you know, amount of things that they can do in any given hour or day. And I think that you have at a certain point, and it's, it's hard that I understand that's a question, but you have to decide the system becomes complex, complex enough that one person has to, has to know the overview and that person can't be doing too much stuff. So you don't want to have the guy who's sitting there cutting a show, be the EIC because if something goes down, then right. this part of the job doesn't get happen while something is getting fixed.
0: Yeah, cascading failures is what really kills a lot of live shows. Is basically something went wrong, and someone pays attention to that, and other things go wrong while they're paying attention to it, and and so that's when you, every time you hire enough people for a given division, you're compartmentalizing that, you're protecting it by saying I've got enough people to pay attention to just that. A lot of times, you know, we have uh, in with Pixel Core, we had a lot of we had EICs, but we also had you know, most of our PAs were pretty technical. (laughs) They were pretty technical PAs because they, you know, they, in other, in smaller events, they might be the TD or a camera operator. In the bigger events, they were PAs. And what it meant was, is there was an incredible amount of, uh, incredible ability to flex when things went wrong, because there was a lot of people that knew how to, how the, how the process worked. And so I think that that's definitely something to keep in mind. Next question.
1: Paul Wallace from Austin, Texas, asking, What's your power strip of choice that has USB, USB C, and AC, et cetera?
0: USB C. <laughs> Get the most power out of it. That's that's the one I usually choose if I can. A couple of quick announcements uh, before we go to the second hour um, tomorrow. We're gonna have we're gonna talk about comms architecture, not specific comms, um, but comms architecture. Uh, you know the. Um, uh, like how, why we build comms and what they look like and what's important and what's a PL and what's a direct and, and you know, co- cloud comms versus, but again, not specific brands, but really just how we approach comms. Uh, Thursday, Brad Woodall is in, Brad is a, works on, I don't think we can, uh, oh, he, 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 uh, he, he is the technical director for Thursday Night Football. <laughs> so, so I don't know if I can say that at So uh, he's gonna be talking about cutting shows. Uh, so so it's uh, so we're pretty excited about that, having Brad on. Um, so if, if you have questions, that's gonna be an incredible uh, Thursday. Uh, Friday, we're in the world of DMX lighting. So we're gonna talk all about how DMX works and how, those, how it integrates with lights. So stay tuned uh, for that. And finally, on Saturday, of course, we're gonna continue our accessibility Really excited about it. Um, it's turning out really well. So we are going to talk about mobility issues this year, this this week, um, and uh, we talked about language interpretation. We had an introduction the week before, and we're doing it with ASL, uh, which is really really interesting. And we've had a mixed panel, so some panel, some of the panel have been deaf, some of them have been have other, you know, have have been low sight. Some of them have been, you know, there's been a lot of different things and figuring out how to. It's it's a lab as much as a. As a uh, as a show, and so it's it's really been powerful for me. So hopefully you'll you'll join us on Saturday morning as well. All right, we are now changing subjects um, to our second hour and uh, talking about a little bit about broadcast um, and as it relates to you know and how to build graphics with broadcast. I think a lot of times people get overwhelmed with. Now I have to learn After Effects, or now I have to learn, you know, how to animate those things. When in reality, when you're just getting started, I mean, those tools are useful, whether you're using After Effects or Motion, Cinema 4D, all the tools that are that are used by a lot of folks to put these together. But you can get away with some more basic tools, and so I thought it'd be useful for us to talk about some of those and answer some of your questions. I'll show you a couple quick examples of that, just um, just to, to kind of get, you know. Give you a thought of what might be possible, and hopefully this this hopefully this demo will work because I didn't rehearse it very much. Um, so let me uh, let's see here. If, if I um, so what I want to do so is put this down here like that. All right, and um, so the first thing to think about is what one of the things that you can um, uh do is is think about countdown clocks. So the very first thing is like, I build a lot of countdown clocks. And, you know, one of the things that's here, this is a this is a presentation, um, but it's a presentation with a countdown clock, and it's all mid-journey stuff. So, um, but you have that countdown clock there, but the, what's cool is, is that all I did was render out the countdown clock. So I have the countdown clock as its own little layer. I rendered it out with an alpha channel, so it just drops in wherever I want. And if I wanna go, you know, this is like one countdown clock, but if I wanna put it somewhere else or even move it, I can have it be somewhere else. And now it's a different, you know, it's a countdown clock here. One thing, by the way, is interesting here is notice how I changed frames and it kept counting. <laughs> Last night when I was prepping this, I was like, Keynote is keeping track of the fact that, I, that I'm doing this. So it'll, it'll just keep moving it. It just keeps counting as it moves over. So, so these are all, um, so what you're seeing here is the ability to have these countdown clocks show up wherever you want them to. And it's a it's a really, you know, being able to have just one little video. So you can have a bunch of countdown clocks. You don't have to render it all out. You don't have to figure out where it goes. The client can give you a frame that they want and you can simply move that countdown clock in. Now there's a lot of countdown clock tools, but one of the reasons that I was that I want to talk about here was because a lot of times um, the, uh, those tools are very, um, they're not very, they're, they're very like, this is the way we're gonna do a countdown clock. What I'm just showing you there is I can have a series of countdown clocks, like a bunch of different fonts, and I can, that that are rendered out, I render them out of motion, you can do them out of After Effects, Cinema 4D, whatever you want. They're just little movies, and I just put them over, I just move them around and scale them to where I want them in the frame. Um, and then I have something that looks really, really nice and customized for the for for that show, you know, in a way that's much nicer than just, um, and it takes nothing to render. And, and by the way, the movies are one frame a second, <laughs> or two frames a second, something like, you know, I. They're very small movies because they're just, they they don't, Keynote doesn't care. You know what that looks like. Now, another thing you may want to do is things like uh, lower thirds. Let's see if I turn this on. Uh, I'm going to make sure I'm in the right computer. There we go. So, um, so here's a, here's a lower third that I have here. So that's, but that was done, if you look at it here, I'll go back again, this is all done in, this is simply done with a draw on, I'll show you in a second, but this is all done and it's got some, you got some transparency there, you've got, um, so it's not, it doesn't have to be something that is, um, uh, you know, all blocked out and so on and so forth. And it's got a little bit of an animation to it. When I want it to go away, I'm gonna hit another button and it's gonna draw itself out that will that does not take very long i'll show it to you a second but this is a very very easy little animation but i'll do it one more time just so you can see it there so um but this is like a little little lower third and then it pops up and then i can simply um drop it out and play it out again and and that is not something you have to have any technical skill at all to put together and i'll show you what that looks like here in just a second um, the last one I was going to show you is you can also do little animations that sit over top of you. So th- something to think about here is I can have, for instance, I can have something like jump into the into the frame here. I can have it wiggle a little bit. I can even fire something out of the <laughs> out of my little my little cannon. And then I can have it jump off a frame. And again, that's all comped over top of, of me. And so one thing to think about is as you start to do those, you can have your presentation doesn't have to be contained to, you know, to a just lower thirds, anything you want, anim, little animations that are popping up. A lot of times we try to figure out where I can talk um, and where I, where am I going to put my head? Well, in some cases I do, I do presentations where there is no screen. Like literally things are just popping up around me and I can talk about those things and those things are all just simply, I'm just copying them over top of me. And again, what I just, all, everything I just showed you is just me just playing a keynote document. You know, like this is not, there's not any, you know, I didn't do any animation and when I want to change it, it's a lot faster than hitting render, you know, in After Effects or Motion, and then putting it back in my playout system and then doing other things like that. And it doesn't require a lot of technical um, skill. So let's go back a little bit and um, let's see if I can see if I can get back to my uh, my animation here. Oh, I'm on the wrong. I'm on the wrong keyboard. There we go. Oops. There we go. That's me keyed over it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. All right, so let's look at this one here. So one of the things you wanna look at here is if I grab onto my switcher. So what one of the things that's happening here is, um, let me uh, fill this up here real quickly here. Oop, hold on. Sorry, this is, uh... oh, man. sorry, hold on a second. This is it goes back into. I, I still need to have more computers to do this. All right. Um, so let me cut back to this. So here's my switcher here, and what you can see, what I'm looking for here is that this, what you're seeing this lower third is this is this guy right here. So it's this on air that's that's there. So if I if I go in here and and turn that off, you'll see this is that's my second key. Um this this little this is my first key, right? So now what I'm gonna do is is you'll see me scroll down and and what I'm looking at is the key two um that's there that's there. And and so how I affect, you know, what is um transparent or not is here within my my clip in gain. So I can sit here and move exactly, you know. So I'm basically now see how the, the when the image gets darker that means that Luma key is starting to, you know, cut into the actual image. So you wanna make sure you don't get to there, but I can lower that 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 opacity, but I, I can only go as far as that, that dark area there. And then the gain here is going to increase that, the gain is going to increase the, 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 the um, contrast. So I can open up and again, I'll get to a point where I can, so what you're gonna do is start to play with it. Now, the more separation that you have in that foreground and background, the, the better it's gonna, you know, the better it's going to look. But that's all I'm doing here is, as I turn premultiply off, and I'm using the camera, the input from my from my keynote, in both in both as both the key source and as the fill source, um, so that I can make those adjustments inside of the key, the clip in the, and the gain, and so I can I can make that work. And if I cut back to it, you'll see that there's, you know, there it is there, and I can still play with. I can be looking at it and going, oh, I want to, you know, play with exactly, you know, how clear that is. But that's where I'm just simply moving. In that case, I'm moving the clip of where that center point is um, and, and, and how I want it to, to sit. And then I can play with the gain where I can, you know, make it, I don't know why I would do that, but but I can kind of stretch it out. So I can play with that that semi-transparency. And it's still a pretty soft gradient. Um, I mean, I don't know how it looks on Zoom, but, uh, you know, uncompressed it looks, you know, so it's still, you know, it's not, I think a lot of people think if they use a presentation tool, they can't use the, um, they're not gonna be able to use uh, there, you know, have it. It's going to have to be opaque, and it doesn't. doesn't have to be opaque, um, and so uh, we'll go ahead and draw that back out again. And so, I think that the, the goal here is just to kind of illustrate that that, that there's a lot of opportunity here to, for you to use it, even if you're you want to add some graphics here. Now, a couple of other things to well, we'll talk. There's some other questions that are kind of come up that'll help us illustrate some of the other bits and pieces. But you can also render. What I will say is you can render with Keynote. You can render out. Um, you know, frames with alpha channels. You can go basically render Apple ProRes four 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 four. So now you can send it out to a playout system if you do want to play it out later. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because there's a huge number of workflows to make all of this happen, and uh, you know, it's good to mention Keynote, Motion, and those. But also, there's some purpose-built programs like SPX from Twomo, uh, John. Barker's, yeah, so uh, you're you're uh, absolutely H2R. right,
0: but specifically what I, I think a lot of times those become, those are something that takes a little bit more of a lift to, to set up. So today, what we're really talking about is just that you, to get started, you don't need any other specific built tool. You can literally take your presentation tool. I mean, that's the point of today
1: is <laughs> yeah. to talk about,
0: we'll talk about, we, 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 we talked about SPX last week. We'll talk about After Effects another yeah, time. And,
1: and the other but, thing is, I, I'm sorry that I use After Effects a lot and I'm pretty quick with it. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's easier to use your old friend sure. After Effects. but. And yeah, then but, but, uh, using essential uh, graphics inside of After Effects to get uh-huh. it out. <laughs> right. To the point other is the,
0: the point is for this for today is that you that you can't. I don't I don't use Keynote on a daily basis to do computer graphics. Uh, I am. Uh, this is for folks who are like thinking about how to use graphics in there and they don't know how to use any of those apps and they don't want to pay fifty bucks a month and they don't want to and they don't know they're not technically ready. They're just they just want to throw a couple things into there if you have a. A presentation that you want to do that has those, if you have a class that you want to, um, you know, give, you know, I think that what people underestimate is how much they can actually get done with the presentation tool. It's not a replacement for those tools. It's simply a, uh, um, it's, it's simply another way to do that. Yeah, go ahead, John.
4: Yeah, I would uh, go ahead and also say that everyone has access to a free tool that does this. Even Google Slides can do the very basics of these things, though Keynote and PowerPoint are both better. And almost everyone has a license for either Keynote or PowerPoint. Um, Alex, I a question for you on the – it was a little Canon, I think, that came in and animated through. Was that using an SVG?
0: No, that was that was okay. using um, – let me uh, go back to that. That, that was um – uh, let me turn so it I thought you had ungrouped out. it and then pulled out the bullet and
4: no, the bullet I I, had, uh,
0: I didn't do anything that nearly that complicated. Um, let me uh, let's see. So we have uh, so this guy came in, bounced in here, and then I fired. I made him w- wiggle a little bit, and then I fired. You know, fired that out there. Now what you know all of that is. Let's see here if I can um, pull this over. You just had a little circle on the behind it, yeah. And yeah, it was just it just it just <laughs> appeared. Um, yeah, it's uh, here. Let me let me pull this up so you can see it. So you can see what that animation actually looked like. And the reason that I, th- I, I the reason I showed that specifically is that this is you know I think a lot of people misund- don't understand how much animation you can actually put into your presentation tool uh, and have it actually work. So um, let me turn that key off. Uh, let's see here. Hold on. I have a lot of in case you're wondering, I have a lot of a lot of screens at the moment here. we um, will turn that off here and then we'll go back to this and then and, and even though I have a lot of screens, I need more. All right. all right, so so here we go. here's the, here's the animation and um, so if I uh, what I if I look my build order, uh, let me grab that. So I have the build the build order is where a lot of the work gets done. So when you're building in at least in in Keynote, um, really getting into specifics about your build order is really important. So this is just a, I mean, this is just a shape I grabbed. Um, you know, if I, if you go into here, I think I don't know where I, you know, I grabbed it from somewhere in here. I don't see, maybe it's under science. I literally scrolled and just said, oh, that looks good. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know where I grabbed. Uh, yeah, I don't know where I grabbed it. <laughs> so anyway, so I grabbed, I grabbed the file out of here And I gave it bouncy so if I look at the preview for bouncy it is just it bounces in you know and it has you know motion blur and you know I mean I I don't know if everybody has motion blur but but Makino does um and then I gave it a jiggle and I said preview there and then I I had a, a little oval and I said I want you to appear and then you'll notice that I've grouped these together so I've said I want the I want this to this is a build right after three Um, and with, with no delay. And I want this one to go right after uh, build four um, with, with, you know, and this is the, um, uh, the scale. And so, um, which means you don't see it. I, I, this is actually not gonna work because it it will, uh, yeah, I, I think it, you didn't actually even see that, that motion. And then I have this bouncy, so this is the, you know, that's the bounce off. That that's that's not that's just pre-canned. I didn't do any animation to do that. Um in here you can see this is if I if I you know have selected this move movement, and if I um if I grab onto the move, you'll see my arc here. So if I want to change my arc, I can simply you know grab this and just make it, oh, I want it to arc a little bit less. I want it to play, you know, a little bit more like this, um, you know, all of that stuff. And if I was doing this somewhere else, I probably, you know, again, in any kind of post piece, I would probably have to re-render it. But in this case, I just hit preview, and it just goes uh, boom. You know, now I get to look at it again, and and so, uh, so all of those things are done pretty quickly. So you can throw little things together like this. Again, if you are, um, you know, and if you look at, if we want to go back a little bit to, um, if we want to go back to this animation, you'll see that this animation is similar in the sense that it says, oh, okay, I want, I want to I want to do what's called a line draw, um, which is gonna draw that line around it and bring it in. And then I want this to be a keyboard and I want this to be a pop. And in each one of those, those, I'm setting delays. So you'll see down here, this is the delay. And so I'm saying, I want this to come after that at a certain pace. So I don't have to key everything that's happening or start everything that's happening. I simply just hit go and it's just gonna do that whole section. Then I hit go again and it's gonna do the section out again. And again, I can, key that out, I can also, you know, if I go into my, let's see if I can pull this over, when I export, so I I can do this, but I can also do a uh, export of a movie. And you'll see that my movie here, I can say I want the the playback to be self-playing. I I wanna use all all the slides or I could just use a single slide. I can set my resolution here. Um, I can also do things like say custom. And when i go into custom i can start sh- setting my frame rate so i can go up to 59 i can you know literally i have 29.97 59.94 on keynote i don't think the other ones have that um so that's really built for broadcast in that sense um, um or i can do 60 frames a second i can also say what my resolution is so i can say this is 1920 by 1080 i can make it any resolution i want but here's the interesting thing is i can also go i want to do apple pro 444 and i want to export with transparent backgrounds so, so there I can start to. Uh, so now I have the ability to not only uh, I can export it out to something else that I want to play out in, and it's going to put all the frames I want into it with the transparency, with alpha channels, and so on and so forth. So, anyway, that's the, that's what's kind of sitting inside that that document, which is I think a lot of people don't. For a long time, I didn't know that that existed. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, jump into the next question.
1: David Brady from New York, New York, asking. When trying to create motion graphics for air using presentation tools, is it better to render out a video file with transparency or play out direct? And how do you compensate for the dreaded progressive versus interface interlace motion blur?
0: Yeah, so what I just showed there, um, what you want to do is is if you have a play out system, use the play out system. It is going to be better than a presentation tool. So I'm not definitely, you shouldn't replace one or the other. But if you look back here with what I showed, if I what you wanna do to get rid of the interlace or to deal with the interlace is you'll set, let's say you're doing a 30 frame per second interlace, um, which is essentially 5994 fields, um, render these out as progressive. So typically what you would do is render this out as a 5994 um, and then you will take that into something like compressor and have it Output take your fifty nine nine four footage and output it at twenty nine nine seven interlace or fifty nine nine four interlace depending on how it says it. And what you're going to get back out are the fields in their correct order. So you want to render the all the fields as progressive, and then recompress them as um, as interlace. And you should be able to get rid of having some issues with your interlace motion blur um, if that's what you know if you're trying to render out so that it'll feed into an interlace system. Go ahead, John. Yeah,
4: and uh, I was just looking, Alex. PowerPoint can also export to ProRes, but it doesn't okay. have near as many options. Um, one reason you might not want to do that is if you're using Magic Move or Morph, and you want your um, to be able to jump from slide to slide and have your anima- animations um, animate based on what you were yep. just at. So if you want to go from slide one to slide seven, um, if you export that as a video, you're never going to be able to make that jump without making a custom one to seven video. Whereas if you have it live in your presentation tool, you, it's a little bit more dynamic.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and the tools have gotten a lot, a lot better. A lot of times we've worried in the past with the M series we find that the play, I found that the playback is a lot better. Um, oftentimes we would see a couple frame losses here and there with a pr- pr- presentation tool, and I've seen none of that, you know, since we moved to the M series. So so I think that it's it has gotten a lot more stable than it has been in the past um, to make that actually work. So, um, but yeah, the the I will say of all the the presentation tools. If you're going to do what I'm talking about uh, and you have a Mac, um, you know, you can definitely do some of the stuff on Slides and PowerPoint. But if you have a Mac, I'd highly recommend Keynote for this because it definitely has the most tools for broadcast. Um, Next question.
1: Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida, asks, which sites do you view for ideas on video graphic design? I mostly, um, when I'm looking for ideas, I'm mostly looking at
0: some YouTube, um, some folks that are, you know, doing things with, with YouTube. Uh, sometimes i'll I'll look at those as as options uh Freya Homer uh, does some really great animations that I pay a lot of attention to um in two through two, two blue three green or three green two blue uh, does a lot of great math animations that i that I really enjoy when it comes you know for educational graphics when it comes to actual like design, I mostly watch t v you know so i um I think that uh Thursday and Sunday Night football are things that I probably pay the most attention to um as far as what kind of graphics that they're using, but I look at a lot of different things. I you know, I collect a lot of things of sweepers and you know all kinds of other bits and pieces that are there. So, um, so I think that there's, I think the best thing to do is take the graphics that you like the most and try to break them down. When I was first getting into animation, I mostly spent, I spent a lot, a large portion of my day um, just rebuilding other people's animations. Like I would just look at something on TV and I would try to build it, exactly the same way that they did you know and just i would just copy it not because i was going to show it to anyone or i was going to try to sell it but but i felt like i need to know that i can do what they can do and it would take me sometimes weeks to do something that was like a couple seconds long on cnn or or you know it was, it was a very complex oftentimes i i didn't realize how complex i was like oh that'll be easy and then as i put it together i was like oh that's really hard and i didn't you know and so i but i learned a lot and that's how i got my first you know animation work is, didn't use those for my demo reels because I would change a couple of the details and so on and so forth and move it around. Like once I knew how to do it, I'd make it look different and then I'd put in a demo reel and so I got my first jobs and then I refilled my I backfilled my demo reel with the stuff I was doing for actual broadcasters. Uh,
1: next question. Jason Robertshaw from Sarasota, Florida. End credits on live events. Do you use them? And if so, how do you generate and maintain them? Are they animated or static? Go ahead, John. If I was animating and in credits, I
4: would do one of two things I would either scroll the text and that'd be easy with a single text box that's really, really long with all the information you need. Start it at the bottom of the page and have it do a linear move up. You can do a magic move or just a, a line animation. Uh, or what I would do is create different image or different slides I want that are laid out how I want, especially if you want to add additional graphics. And again, use magic move or morph. I would morph it by character so that the text can break apart and reform itself. It would be a nice animation that's super simple to put together.
1: Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, if I was good generating a credit roll, um, very few software can deal with it because it will be jumpy. Um, if you do it in After Effects, sorry to mention it again, um, I would generate it there and then bring it out as a ProRes file, which I can bring into something else. But in After Effects, there are ways that you can uh, deal with the motion blur and the framing issue because what it is is that it's it's not sitting on exactly the right frame as it's moving up. I use an expression to calculate how to get to the right exact frame.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, I, I rarely do credits, <laughs> so so I, we have credits for this show, but someone else did it. I I uh, I you know I I think that. Uh, um, you know, I, I try to think about, and if I do them, usually my credits are really simple because uh, I think we, I, I often think about, am I doing the credits for the people that worked on the show or am I doing the credits for the people who are watching the show? And most of my energy is all spent on people watching the show. And so, I you know, I'd I usually just kind of put things up, like, you know, people wanna have their name up there if, they, if they're, you know, if they're on the team and they they want that there. Most of the shows that I work on we didn't you know we technically didn't exist <laughs> like of course it was just all it all just happened by accident, so most of the shows that that i that I work on we don 't have any have any credits um, and i 'm usually generally uncomfortable with my own name in credits so um so i uh so i i don 't prefer to have my name on on anything. <laughs> my most known credit is innocent bystander. If someone says I have to have one, go ahead Courtney if you 're doing a live show in credits for a live show um you might
2: want to have some ability to change their scroll rate on the fly. Because if you've got to hit a hard out time, uh, like for a network, uh, Chiron has all these things built in where you can tell it, you know, you've got 12 seconds and it'll roll the credits in that amount of time. Uh, Because a lot of times there are legal requirements that some people have to receive a credit. And even though they scroll by very quickly, that satisfies that legal requirement. Uh, And if you just cut them off short, uh, they would, you know, violate their contract. So you got to take that into account if you're doing something with. with uh, make sure you're not going to short shrift someone's legal uh, uh, rights by cutting off the credits.
0: Yeah, usually those are for broadcast. But I mean, I've never seen a live event that I worked on that that, that anyone there was any legal requ- requirement for us to put, <laughs> put them in. Um, and and I, I don't, you know, but, but for broadcast, you're absolutely right. There's oftentimes that, and that's why you see them scroll by so fast. Like, they just kind of go, okay, we don't, you know, we're not getting paid for this. You know, so, you know, so that goes by really fast. And now most of our streaming services just give us a button to go to the next show. So um, so it's it's not, uh, that's part, those reasons are part of why I don't spend a ton of time trying to figure it out. Um, next question.
1: John Nichols from Concord, California, asking... I'm working with slides. They're transparent. Everything is black. I don't see the edges of the slides, so I can't judge where the edges of the slide are. Is there a way to show the slide dimensions? Go ahead, John.
4: The easiest way I've found to do this is to just change your slide background while you're working on it, especially if you're in PowerPoint using the slide master or in Keynote. It's called the um, slide layout. And you can change all the slides that have the same layout change their background from light gray at the very end switch it back to transparent and you're done also make sure you show your rulers and you can add grid lines as well if that helps you navigate things
0: yeah another thing that i do a lot is i'm zoomed out when i'm trying to figure these kinds of things out so if you look at it here you know this is the edge of my slide right here you know right right there and so i zoom out far enough that i can see you can see that this is showing me what's gone out of the frame um, as opposed to what's in the frame so a lot of times i do that to just know where i'm where I'm at as I work through those. Next question.
1: Jason Robershaw from Sarasota, Florida. Keynote now offers dynamic backgrounds. Do you use these and they're too much movement for Zoom? Is there an equivalent in PowerPoint? Uh, Go ahead, John Preto. So I just did a medium-sized presentation, a couple hundred people, and I used the dynamic backgrounds for my opening slide and my closing slide. And so while they were introducing me and having lunch, I left that dynamic slide out there, it looks great. And then on my ending slide during the questions, I used the dynamic backgrounds,
0: it looks great. There you go, John.
4: I generally don't like a full size dynamic slide. So sometimes I'll pick one of the dynamic slides and then block out a bunch of it with a big, large rectangle. Um, in Zoom, especially the rainbow ones just look kind of greenish brownish to me. And so I don't typically use them there in person. I think they look great. PowerPoint does not have the ability to do that. You can put a video, a full screen video in the background of a slide, have it run automatically, have it loop. But once you advance the slide itself, the video starts over. So it's a, a very uh, obvious
0: transition. In general, uh, the, uh, most of those moving slides do not do well inside of uh, any kind of presentation tool, WebRTC, they oftentimes don't do great in live streaming in general, but they really don't do well in WebRTC. In real time, um, they, they're not necessarily uh, very effective. They, they'll break up a lot. You'll see a lot of blocking, uh, a lot of gradient issues. So I'd be, be careful with those. Um, next question.
1: Robert Sababity in Poland asking, what are the best practices when broadcasting speakers presenting slides? Is it better to show just the slides like here at office hours or show both? Are there any guidelines as to when the proportions of the speakers versus the slides should be showing or both?
0: You know, it, 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 it definitely helps. If it's going to be a long presentation, then I think bringing the speaker up and finding a way to do that makes sense. And you can even do that. I, I don't think I have it quite set up for this in 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 here. I might, might be able to try and do it. But the um, you can bring a speaker up inside of Keynote, so you can you can actually tell Keynote, "I want a live video slide," and I want to have this person pop up in in that live video. And I think you can do that with PowerPoint as well. The real issue there is that that processing does take a bunch of frames, and so you now. Have a different audio delay in your pipeline because the the video is going to be a little behind. So that's a little that can be a little difficult if you're inserting it in. If you're using your video production tool, uh, then you can build super sources or or DVEs that will um, bring that person over top. The thing that you wanna think about as you start to do that is your layout. Is your layout ready for a person to be there? <laughs> you know, so um, so that's the that's the thing you wanna like, is, there, is that, does that make sense? Or, or is that person gonna be over top of something? So you do have to think about the entire pipeline of what you're doing so that when the person pops up, they pop up into a space that looks like it belongs and doesn't look like they're just over top of something. And so you can definitely do those things. It does help um, maintain some attention I will say that if people's presentations are longer than uh, five or 10 minutes, the, the drop off rate is intense. Like, you know, just so you know, like it's really like playing a, a keynote, um, if What we, so we did eye tracking. So we looked for passive versus active listening. Um, and what we found was that if, if you talk for about six minutes straight in a presentation, you can answer questions, but if you talk for about six minutes straight about a subject that doesn't have a question connected to it, um, the active listening will drop by 75 percent in about six minutes and if you um, and if you put up a slide you have sixty to ninety seconds before that people people start doing something else like they literally just move you to a window start checking their email sorry and, and if you if you think about it when you sit at these these events uh, I think about it a lot because we had to shoot videos of people watching these presentations you know um, on big stages and when you want to shoot crowd reaction videos and trying to when they're talking about some subject trying to find a group of people that we can shoot where one person isn't partially asleep or looking at their phone was almost impossible you know there's a lot of really close close close-ups you know of people because there was someone around them that was like they were like down or they're back like this or they were checking their email and so they didn't look like they were paying attention which of course we were trying to make it look like everyone was paying attention no one was so anyway so it's not it it really hasn't changed much so um you know i would i like to cut back and forth so i like to do a lot of this because it it's more violent um from a from a (laughs) perspective from a person's perspective of it 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 actually wakes your brain up a little bit more than than doing it so i'll jump back and forth and say something as I go, and I'd rather do that. When you keep the, the, the frame static, when you appear over top of it, and then you're talking about it for a long time, it tends to put people back to sleep. Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: I used to do a lot of infomercials and uh, the classic, ooh, and ah, and the crowd reactions. Couldn't you can a bunch of reactions and just sit there and fire them off somewhere? In the, in the
0: People truck? do that. They they have them. You can put them on a big. Uh, f- you know, they did that during COVID for a lot of the games. You know, so when you were watching a game with no crowds, they actually had a, um, you know, just a con- one of those control surfaces, Novation or whatever control surfaces, and they just hit them all, and they'd have intense cl- claps and lower. But it feels canned really fast, and um, you know, you know, I I think that I personally can't watch it. I, as someone who's worked on them, I now can't watch a show with laugh tracks. Like if I hear laugh tracks, I just, I just, I can hear the laugh track and I just can't, I can't watch the show. Yeah, go ahead, John. It's also important
4: to remember from a retention perspective that human beings cannot read and watch video simultaneously. Um, they get super distracted. So especially if your slide has any text on it, if the person's talking and there's text on the slide, your audience is doing one of two things. They're either watching the person, reading the text on the slide, or I guess the third thing is, not paying attention at all.
0: I show I have almost no text. <laughs> all of my presentations are all just graphics that underline what I'm trying to talk about. I'm using my presentation to illustrate what I'm what I'm saying. Not trying to say things with my presentation. <laughs> that's crazy. So anyway, so so the uh, so yeah, definitely think about that as you as as people go. And I know that a lot of people say, "Well, that's not what people do." Well, they should. Like <laughs> You know, like anybody who does. Anybody that teaches you about presentations, the first thing they'll tell you is to take all that text off the screen. That'll be the first thing that they that they'll tell you to do. Yet most of the presentations we see are just littered with text um, debris. Next question:
1: Jeffrey Reyes in Bronx, New York, has a question. I've started recently learning Unreal Engine. It's used for creating video games, but could it also be a good choice for building lower thirds, overlays, and other types of broadcast graphics? Go, Mitchell. Generally not. It's sort of like buying a Ferrari to make your DoorDash deliveries. Yeah, it'll work, but it's a lot of expense and a little bit of overkill. you got to get the right tool for the right job.
2: Good, Courtney. Yeah, the exception to this is you'll see it a lot of times on network uh, weather presentations where they have the weather person walk into the weather map and things will pop out in a virtual set, pop out of the floor, or weather map will pop out of the floor. So if you want to uh, create graphics that are interactive with your presenter, that go behind the presenter or in front of the presenter, then Unreal Engine uh, will let you do render those graphics and animate them in a 3D space, which is what you may need to do. And, of course, it doesn't hurt to learn Unreal Engine because it's a good talent to learn. You probably aren't going to use it, like Mitch said, in, in your normal lower thirds, though.
0: Yeah, the the big challenge with uh, Unreal um, in general is aliasing. So um, you'll see it. You'll even see it in broadcast graphics that are using Unreal Engine right now. Is the anti-aliasing, which requires oversampling, isn't perfect. And so you'll see little um, little things crawling up the edges of curved surfaces or angled surfaces. Um, and you'll see that in big broadcast graphics. You'll see that that's a problem there. So as a you know, if you're doing the AR experience or whatever, Unreal is the right way to go for basic graphics is probably not something that I would that I would use right now mostly because of that that aliasing problem. If you're able to render it at a an oversample that then that might be a different story. Next question.
1: David Brady from New York, New York asks, while not exactly on track with the topic, when using Zoom's screen share, what is the default frame rate? Under the advanced tab, there are options to reduce it presumably to conserve bandwidth.
0: Yeah, as best it can.
1: <laughs> like that, I think I'm pretty sure that that's the screen
0: that's the, the there is no set frame rate when you give Zoom a, a, a screen share so it it's it's dependent on uh what screen you're sharing um how big it is uh, one of the things that that's really problematic is screen is sharing something that's not the same aspect ratio because you'll end up with a record that is really funky um and so uh so generally you're, you gotta, you got to you have up to about 6 megs you know 6 6.2 6.25 megs of of a bandwidth that Zoom can use or that it'll allow itself to use. And you can have that in frame rate or you can have it in resolution. When you do a screen share, it's deciding, oh, you want to make sure that every, all the text is really sharp and everything else, and so it prioritizes that. It doesn't, pri- it, it does that at the cost of frame rate. And so that frame rate, depend it'll depend on what you're doing and, and how you're playing it, but it definitely is rarely 30 frames a second. It's usually more like four. You know, you know, four frames a second or eight frames a second, but it's nice and sharp. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney.
2: I've always wondered, this relates to this question, is if you're using screen share and Zoom, is there a way to turn off the gallery so that it's just the screen, full screen? Because when people are demonstrating software with, you know, drop-down menus and things that you may need to read, if it's scaled down to, you know, 40% of your screen or 60% of your screen to allow room for... Uh, the image of the person presenting on the side, um, then I find that the the stuff they're trying to show us is, is unreadable to some degree. Uh, yeah. Plus, I it has to keep up a frame rate to keep that person's uh, picture on the side. I guess it it increases the frame rate of them as well. So,
0: yeah, I if I if I remember correctly, I mean, and and I have to admit because I have a video sharing tool, I very rarely because I can cut stuff in and out. I very rarely use, um, uh, I, I hate the screen cap, the screen share, <laughs> so, so I, I will very rarely use it unless, but if I know that, for instance, I'm going into a meeting that has lower resolution, so if someone doesn't have a 1080p account, now I'm in a pickle because they are gonna have, be really sh- short. So the way that I do that, by the way, and this is not really part of the show, but we'll, is I, I send my switcher feed to, my, um, to, my, to Ki- QuickTime, and I set QuickTime to a full screen on a computer, and I screen share that. And by screen sharing that computer, I get all the resolution back. I still lose my frame rate, but I get my resolution back, and now I can cut and draw over top of things and do all the things that I was doing before. I just don't have the frame rate that I had before. So that's, that's one way to kind of manage that. Um, next question.
1: Jason Robertshaw from Sarasota, Florida, has a question. In Final Cut, why does that red plug-in not working error happen, and how do you fix it?
0: Uh, typically, that is a upgrade issue. So you've upgraded Final Cut, or the operating system is upgraded, and that plugin is not kept up with that upgrade. And the best way to handle that is make sure that the plugin is upgraded, um, or uh, contact the plugin manufacturer, who probably already knows because twenty other people have sent them emails saying, "Hey, your plugin isn't working anymore." Um, that's why developers for Final Cut get betas, so <laughs> like, they're supposed to fix this. And um, so sometimes, but sometimes the library changes can be significant, and that causes more trouble. Uh next question.
1: Greg Kramer from Washington, DC. For running graphics, do you still favor Playback Pro? Also, can you recommend low or no cost alternatives with similar function? Go ahead, Mitchell. Free version of Q Labs.
0: Yeah. What is the free version of Q what does the free version of Q lab do?
1: Um very little. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah.
0: So very little, yeah. So uh we don't recommend Playback Pro uh, and it's really a sad story. Uh, you know, because it was some it was someone who was thinking outside of the box and really doing something great. And in the entertainment or not in the event industry, not in the entertainment industry, but in the event industry, there was a time when playback pro was the standard. Like if we went to any event, you had I I probably at one time, I think I owned maybe ten or twelve licenses of playback pro. And we had them on laptops and we had some on keys and some on, you know, and you used them all the time. Here's why is because what they did, uh, I think it's DV video or, or whatever, um, the, or DV something, uh, they wrote their own dri- their own driver, their own um, system to play back perfectly. So it would always play back the frames that you, you gave it and it would kind of ignore the operating system. And that worked great until Apple started updating that operating system. And so they couldn't keep up with the updates. And there's two things that happened at the same time. They couldn't keep up with the updates that Apple was doing to its subsystem and Apple, was creating a playback system that was so stable that lots of other people could just write to it and just go, give me that. And and so Playback Pro was not able to keep up with it. Um, some of us went to Presenter Pro because of the alpha channel, the, the key fill, because when QLab came out, it took them a couple of years to get to to a key fill system. And so a lot of us um, had uh, started using Presenter Pro, which is mostly used for house of worship, but worked great for that kind of output. Um, you will see that yeah, QLab is a great solution to do these to do this playback. Um, it will do key fill. It'll do a lot of cues um, on the higher end. If you need ten bit, which is something we need, Softron's um, on the air is something that we I think is on the, uh, on air. Uh, Softron though is the is what we use there. Um, you have QLab. There's MIDI, M I T T I, I believe that is a relatively cost effective way to do it, and it'll it doesn't have all the tools that everybody else has, but it's probably MIDI is probably the one that is the closest to the set the the tool set of uh a playback pro it doesn't have and it it also the big thing with qlab that worried us a lot when we first got it was it's it's capable of playing two videos at one time to two different screens but you can accidentally play a video over top of another one which made us crazy and by the way i was i was corrected i meant to say pro presenter not presenter pro which i've i've made the mistake of going back and forth on that for about a decade uh next question
1: from stephen Montaigne from madison wisconsin When a client hands you a logo file with green elements in it, options for keying without losing parts of the logo.
0: Uh, Go ahead, John. Use a Luma
4: key instead, which does it based off of pixel brightness instead of color.
0: Yeah. And what you saw me do here, let me see if I can um, go back. So, for instance, this, oh, I didn't key it. Um, uh, I'm using a Luma key. I'm not using a Chroma key. So, if you look at at what I have um, here, I can go into this uh, let's see if i if I escape this no um, I could change that color to green, and it wouldn't matter because i'm I'm only looking at the black levels, not the green levels. in fact, most of the time when I do graphics like this i will um I will do them uh with an luma key, and the reason for that is if you use green a green key a green background on them um, the generally your file is for wh- whatever you're going through to your switcher is 422 not 444 which means that when unless there's something really special in there the luma key will often look better than the green screen a green key um, because the green color is being sub sampled at 422 not 444 and the luma key is 444 so it seems like you the green would be better but it's often not better especially with curved edges um, or, or other, or even semi some, sometimes transparencies. Uh, go ahead, uh, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, Keynote has a cool masking uh, uh, capability. So if it's over white, you can just pop that and it'll uh, give you that. instant.
0: Yeah. Uh, so the problem with that, um, it kind of works, uh, but it's really hard to get that perfect key. So a lot of times when you do. Um, the If it's a sharp edge, it works great, but if there's any kind of, like, a drop shadow or there's anything at all that is a little off, you'll end up with little white edges that go over top of that. So, if you pull that out and put it over top of black, uh, oftentimes the key isn't perfect.
1: Yeah, um, you, could do it, you could pop, pop it into Photoshop and do that,
0: too. yeah, yep, absolutely. Uh, next question.
1: Roscoe Jones, Madison, Indiana. What are the issues with frame rates when using animation in non-broadcast apps for video work? Are there workarounds? Oops, we lost that one there. I, I think all right, we we went past it.
0: Um, hold on, let me. Uh, I think we we. This is going to be. I'm going to. Pull, I'm pulling some of these back there. We had kind of a double fire there. Uh, okay, what are the issues? Um, you know, it's. I, I, I'm not entirely sure what Roscoe means by what the issues are with, with frame rate, but you know, I think part of the problem is, is that a lot of things don't use the, a very standard frame rate to, to output things. I think that's what he's talking about there. And, and I think that um, uh, it, the workarounds is that you, it won't look perfect <laughs> in a lot of those areas. Uh, when you do that, I don't know what the workarounds are to, to drive that home if that's what you, if, that, if, if that's what you mean. Uh, next question.
1: Next question in from Douglas Carmichael: What uh, could keyboard maestro or a similar tool be used for controlling Keynote in a broadcast workflow? Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, you can. Um, there is a. Um, you know, what I'm doing here, by the way, is when I'm you know running this um, this animation, uh, I'm running with uh, a Stream Deck. So I've got a little a little Stream Deck. <laughs> so this is you can see my little arrows. Um, that i that I very quickly built for for it, so I just have these little arrows here, and i um and i don 't do my, a lot else with it, but it sits here and when I do presentations because i don 't want to change my keyboard back over to control it. I just simply push forward and it'll, it'll do its thing. So you can definitely do that. There is a way for you to, as you go into play out, I don't have it quite set up here, but you can select slides as well. So you can double click on a slide that you wanna go to next and then hit play. So you don't have to do it in the order that Keynote has it in. You can, when you're in the speaker view, you can be changing, um, you, you can jump to it. So you can have a bunch of lower thirds and grab the ones as they, they're needed, as opposed to if they were in the next slide or not. Um, next question.
1: John Snyder here in the panel and Reno, Nevada. What advantages does working with SVG have when using presentation tools for broadcast?
0: Go ahead, John.
4: The, the biggest one you'll see is you can scale up or scale down the item without losing resolution. Um, the other things, though, it, it's a shape instead of an image, which allows you to use things like Boolean tools to cut out masks if you'd like to, as well as um, change colors of individual elements of that item, which can be really handy in different animations. Absolutely. Go ahead, Courtney.
2: Yeah, what John said, if you don't know whether it's going to be broadcast in uh, 720, 1080, 8K, 4K, uh, it'll scale up, and it'll always look smooth at every resolution
1: that you scale it to. Go ahead, Mitchell. As uh, what everybody just said, uh, it's very small file, and it mathematically describes the shapes. So, uh, as he said, you can scale it, but you can also break them apart and have control over the color and the uh, size of the shapes and do all kinds of uh, other stuff without it turning into a bitmap mess.
0: And a lot of that is, at least for Keynote, is brand new. So the newest version of Keynote, if you haven't upgraded, uh, will now take SVGs as shapes. So before this, we could still import, I believe SVGs, but we could definitely bring in EPS files and so on and so forth, but they were an image. They were still resolution independent. You could zoom them up and down. They were still small. Those all, all of that worked in Keynote, but it didn't consider it a shape. And now that it's considered a shape, as I said before, you can now do Boolean functions. You can also um, fill it with a certain color if you're trying to match colored schemes. So there's a lot of other advantages to it. There, yeah. Go ahead, John. Yeah, and I brought this up specifically because it's new to Keynote. It's been in PowerPoint
4: for several years. Right. Um, one thing I don't know if you can do in Keynote, but you can do in PowerPoint. You probably can do it in Keynote. Is with the Magic Move features because these are shapes. You can actually have one shape morph into another shape with a Magic Move or morph transition. It works totally. It works easily in PowerPoint. I have not tried that in Keynote. But you could have your um, icon
0: turn into a sphere or whatever you needed it to do. I think think it does, but I haven't tested it, so we'll take take a look at that. Um, Next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael, I remember seeing uh, Tuomo Coloma using the SPX interface to trigger graphic elements for office Hour space. Can SPX dynamically manage playback speed and parameters, or does that need to be changed in the template? Go ahead, John.
0: We wrote our own telemetry application from the flight computer, and and when it reached certain uh, milestones, it would trigger SPX graphics dynamically. Uh, but it was all it was all bespoke
2: and custom written. I don't know if he's integrated that now into SPX or not, but that's how it worked.
1: Good, Mitchell. Yeah, well, I think those templates are all HTML. So if you know your way around CSS and HTML, you're going to be able to make those adjustments in the uh, the template itself. Next question. Next question is from Gordon Lake in Los Angeles, California. When key fill is needed, is ProPresenter still a good tool to use?
0: Overall, ProPresenter is great tool. Um, so I, I, it's it's a good. It it's not as when it did it ten years ago, it was unique. So Pro, ProPresenter was the only tool that could do that as software on a Mac. Um, so so we used it a lot for that. Um, but nowadays um, there's a lot of other things that will do it. And by the way, when we talk about Playback Pro the one, not playback, I was talking about Mac stuff, but um, for those of you who are looking for playback, also remember that there is Playout B, uh, which is available on the Windows, uh, Raspberry, and Mac. Um, and it it will do a lot of the Playout stuff. I don't think it does key fill right now, um, but I do believe it'll do alpha channels inside of a Chrome, you know, the kind of the Chrome window alpha channels there, but I'm not sure if it output key fill itself. Um, but, uh, but that's another, Playout B is very inexpensive. It's written by uh, Jonas Dottel, who's in our in, in office hours and part of the dev team and everything else, and so I I, I was uh, uh, mistaken for not not mentioning that a little earlier. Go ahead, Courtney.
2: Uh, I was going to mention this because we haven't mentioned it so far for static uh, lower thirds and graphics. That uh, there is a plugin for the ATEM switchers uh, for Photoshop, so that if you can have a, a version of Photoshop running, you can modify your your lower third graphics really quickly and just drag them into the media media file uh, to the media area of the ATEM and they'll come in with a transparent background and key and fill automatically so you don't have to worry about exporting them with a key and fill and then importing them you just drag and drop them Mm -hmm. and it maintains the uh, the transparency
0: yeah and and a couple different ways we've done that in the past is we also have uh, in Keynote, we'll export all those slides. If they're stills, we export all the slide. all the, you know, we build them all up and export them all out as a, uh, as, you know, 30 slides or whatever, and just drag them into, into our, um, which is very quick to do that. The other thing we've done is written scripts. So you can write a script in Photoshop that will go and look at a, um, we've done this for presentations. So we have lots of sessions, like, and we have, let's say five or six people for each session. Um, we had a, a spreadsheet, Google Doc, that it would go look at, I think we converted to Excel for like right before the show, but I don't think it looked at the Google Doc itself. Anyway, the point is it would go look at it, grab the things that it had, including Twitter handles. does it have a Twitter handle? Does it not have a Twitter handle? Import those all into Photoshop and output them what we had was just one you know one template that was the the lower third in Photoshop, and it would just go grab them and export them, and it would put them all in order in the switcher. So it would just, so you just hit this button and it would just go and it would just fill your switcher with all the, with all the stills. And so that, that can be, and it even makes that, it doesn't make that noise. We, we should add it though. You know, and just, just as, as it puts it out
1: there, that would be a really good one. Uh, go ahead, uh, Mitchell. I notice a weird thing when you're doing that, uh, export function, uh, into ATEM from Photoshop is that's the best way to go. But if you just, uh, create uh, transparent ping files, sometimes they come in green. So some kind of weird glitch.
0: Yeah. Uh, we found that it what's interesting is is if you download the ones that come out of photoshop um it does appear to like it's generating a ping but we have almost always found that a tga imports better the way it handles the alpha channel the tga handles better especially when you're dealing with fine graphics um and unfortunately uh, we wish that i mean tga is such an old format people are like when you talk to a development team about, hey can you support tga they're like uh you what's know, like, you know like, yeah Targa like a file what's yeah, a target like, you know, remember <laughs> yeah. the target cards yeah you remember yeah. that new new show called the a-team you know <laughs> like you know like it's like why why are we here why are we having this conversation i think the a-team was new when Targa was new and anyway so uh so i think that that's they people kind of feel like you're coming out from the past but the advantage that it has within the there's with, a whole other thing with it but just to, the advantage that TGA has is that it it handles the alpha channel completely separately in in how it how it processes it. So there's a whole RGB channel and a an entire alpha channel. And that's easier for the ATEM to handle because the ATEM shortcuts the key slightly. So it doesn't invert the it, it only it only keys over, it does what's a pre-multi, it expects a pre-multiplied alpha channel. And so it it doesn't do a reverse punch. On the, on the first, on the RGB channel, it just simply goes, I'm going to punch out the background for it, and then I'm going to set it on top of it. And, I'm, and it saves it a processing pass, but it makes other things not work as well. Um, next question.
1: Next one in from Peter Belbin in Houston, Texas. Which apps on both PC and Mac are able to directly output via Blackmagic Design Decklink output devices? Good, Mitchell. Uh, it's probably easier to say which ones don't. Uh, because uh, pretty much all of them do. Uh, Either that or the AJA cards uh, are pre-built for that.
0: Thanks to the panel. It was a good show. It was good. I thought that it was useful for people to see. You know, the goal here is not to say that you should start. What we hope you don't leave with is... The only way to do graphics now is to do is to use Keynote or PowerPoint or something else. That's not the point. The point really is that you can do a lot of those things. And when we got started doing live streaming, I was doing everything out of Keynote. You know, we were doing um, these streams and we didn't know how to do any of the graphics and it was really nice and fluid and change. And I still use Keynote where I'm keying my, either myself over top of Keynote or Keynote over top of me, I'm still doing all of those things on a regular basis. Um, And I think that it's it's definitely, uh, definitely worth uh, knowing how to do it, especially if you are getting started, uh, if you are um, even in the kind of in the middle of the process, but also if you're doing really high-end presentations, you can use all the stuff sitting over top of you, and it definitely looks nice um, as you go to do that. Um, also, finally, if you're an educator, so if you're an educator, you have these tools, they're not very expensive, and you can make your whole presentation look a lot better. So, hopefully, that helps a lot. Um, thank you to the panel for a great conversation, both in the first and the second hour, um, and uh, thanks to the uh, incredible crew on the back end. Um, there is an incredible crew that is doing the doing the um, all the stuff that you see here. We don't edit any of this there's people cutting the show there's people making sure that we're ready for the show there's people managing the show there's people developing all the tools that are necessary there's people trying to figure out what's going to be on tomorrow incredible team on the back end so we just really want to thank everybody for your for your um for your contribution here if you're interested in being on that team uh definitely let us know we're going to be you'll see a link to join for volunteers in the email that goes out and um, we'd love to have you it's a it's a great network to have lots of people that are doing this together so uh, if you're interested go ahead and throw it and jump into that Um, and again uh, thanks to the producers great set of questions today Uh, i think um, you know it really I will say, as as a host and a panelist, it feels great when you when you get it when you enter the hour. When we enter the hour and there's like four questions, we're like, "Oh, this is gonna be hard. We're gonna have to talk a lot." Um, when we get in and we see 18, 20 questions, it's it's uh, oh, this is gonna be a good show. <laughs> like, like this is gonna be, we're gonna be rocking. And so uh, we really want to thank you for all the great questions and the and the voting and everything else. It was good. It was a good show today. Um, it's a good show just about every day, but it's an exceptionally good show and easier for us as we go through that. Uh, another quick reminder that uh, we have the the workshop today at 12, we're moving into 12 Pacific Standard Time, that's 3 p.m. And that means that more of our European friends can join us. If you're interested, if you're trying to figure out, oh, how do we do the panel or how do I cut the show or how do I do a reader or how do I do all, you know, all those things we're practicing all together. It's turned out to be a really fun uh, day to, to do that. So there's, you know, you can, it, it, I think now we've gotten kind of to a point where you kind of feel like you need a little bit of practice before you get on. And so that's a great place to practice. And again, that's at 12 p.m. uh, Pacific uh, Standard Time, and that's uh, 3 p.m. You'll see more of that in the email that goes out. So take a look at for that. Uh, We traveled 74,000 miles today, 119,000 kilometers. That's more than 590 bananas for scale. This is the the specific banana that, that we count as our scale. Let's go ahead and jump into after hours. I, unfortunately, I have a, cop, a couple copies of this banana. Because if I lost the banana, we might lose the scale. Get
2: a banana. little bouncing animated banana that goes... I need to a little banana.
0: Have them all stack and go across the screen. Godzilla. Godzilla. And banana. Godzilla. Dude, what? I was just watching Godzilla the other night. It was on, I don't know, it was on YouTube or something. It was like, there's Godzilla. I have to watch part of it. I My preference is Godzilla versus Mothra. That's my favorite thing. The original, yes.
2: The little villagers singing. If you see Asteroid City, watch the end credits for the Roadrunner. Beep beep. All right, dances.